Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer. Episode 200. On tonight's episode, the Manlings cover the Soul Wars novel. Because what better way to celebrate 200 episodes than to cover a book that only has about four or five pages of Dwarden in it. Because that's right, don't do anything nice for me or anything. I'm just here every episode telling you what these two idiots are doing. And then they're not nothing. Not, oh, forget it. Shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next four, five, or six hours, however long this thing takes, um, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you the Soul Wars, something that isn't Hammers of Sigmar. And 200 episodes? Are we nuts? I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I am the excited, uh, uh, amazed, uh, appreciative, and and quite flabbergasted David Whitek. Hello, folks. Welcome to episode 200 of Garage Hammer. It's not going to be five or six hours, Alex. You got you. You're, you are you are you are you're thinking that's the old Garage Hammer. <laughs> oh wow, buddy, scared the dog. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. No, no, it, it, uh, folks, this is going to take a while. But you know, I thought I was on your headphones. Good. So no, no, she's fine. Oh, okay, so she's just that loud. <laughs> thanks, Dave. I thought I was right. on your headphones. I didn't know she could you hear me. You are. Oh. Yeah, but she's she's a dog. She's got like supersonic hearing. That's like a thing. Oh, that's right. She got dog hearing. Uh, yeah. I got you. I got you. All right. So, uh, Soul Wars. We're going to get into this in just a little bit. I'm pretty excited about this. I was. I really enjoyed this book. I, cr- I cranked through it. Yes. This is a very good book. Um and when we get into like the actual meat and potatoes part of the conversation about it, this is a better. We'll we'll get to it. I think we're. Just, I'm just not going to spoil that one yet. Sure, sure, sure. But no, we've got a lot that we need to cover uh, with Soul Wars, and then obviously with uh, some of the changes we're going to be talking about. Uh, so, but first, we should probably take a moment to thank our sponsor, shouldn't we? Absolutely. So. The sponsors of Garage Hammer include Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore! Chaos Orc Superstore! Chaos Orc Superstore! Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios for all your basing and MDF needs. Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. In Wakanda, Illinois. Not that Wakanda, not that Lindsay. What other Wakanda? Black Panther. Oh. Do you realize? Didn't you? Didn't you see what happened after they came out? You know how many people like were calling their travel agents trying to find a place to Wakanda. They actually, so many people were over there. They had a, like a like a Wakanda Black Panther Day in Wakanda, Illinois, because like people kept. It's not even spelled the same, but it was like a big thing. Uh huh. Wakanda forever. You know that thing. No, I don't know that thing. Oh, you didn't see Black Panther? No. Oh. Yes, add it to the list. But we need to talk about your questionable movie choices anyway. And then Black Duck, Hobby and Game in Lush Park. Are you okay? Don't joke. Yeah, I got a frog in the throat. Black Dog, Hobby and Games. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about Black Dog, Hobby and Games? I hear they're fantastic. 
They are. It is the place to be for gamers. Whether you like miniature games, card games, board games, or RPGs, Black Dog has it all. Check out our Tuesday Night RPGs, Wednesday Night Modern Magic, Thursday Night Board Games, Friday Night Age of Sigmar, and Saturday Warhammer. Find us on Facebook at Black Dog Hobby and Game, and check out our game meetup group, which is linked on our Facebook page. Yes. So, that's a, quite a bit. lot of stuff. Yeah, they, that's a whole lot. They're an awesome place. Both of yes. our local gaming stores are pretty fantastic. Yerp. Uh, let's see. Oh, let's not forget to uh, thank the patrons over on Patreon. That's right, folks. If you even were considering, interested in supporting Garage Hammer in any way after these 200 episodes, you can go over to patreon.com slash garage hammer and have a look. Um, if you want to, you know, help out, throw in a buck an episode, 50 cents, whatever, that every little bit helps. And um, you, too, can become part of the 1% that make this show everything that it is. <laughs> uh, we should want to thank our associate producers, Phil Elliott and Dwight Sims. We also want to thank our executive producer, Nick Nefliotis, and our newest sponsors, Justin Blankley. And welcome back to uh, returning as a new ex- uh, uh, returning executive producer, Big Jake. So that's uh, that's what's going on here. Um, like I said, check it out. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very helpful to the show, and we really appreciate it. So there's that. Um, also, what else? Oh, you know, Alex, you know, we got voicemail. We do have voicemail. We, After 200 episodes, we still have voicemail. We still have voicemail. They haven't shut I it down yet. I don't believe it. Yes, we do. And you can call and leave a voicemail at 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. If you're calling internationally from most countries, it's 001-757-GH-SHOW-6. So, um, yeah. that's uh, Now, I don't have any... Uh, voicemails up right now. We had a couple of voicemails for the for the contest, mm-hmm. but um, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm not gonna run through that would that would take forever because we went from two last episode to 46 <laughs> entries. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So I we can't even. I, I mean, I can't even go through and 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 read them all or any of that stuff. But um, I suppose. I, well, you know what? I suppose now is just as good a time as any to talk about this. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who sent in uh, uh, anything talking about this. Because honestly, this is a pretty self-serving contest. Hey, write in why you like us. You know, what's your favorite thing about us? And uh, I figured it was just an easy thing to do, right? Hey, what do you like about the show? Uh, so many kind and heartwarming letters from people saying how much they love, you know, uh, the rapport between Alex and I, or Alex's insight into the the units and and the things they do. Uh, a lot of them, Alex, and I haven't forwarded them all to you because I've been running around like a chicken with his head cut off. But uh, a lot of them saying, "Oh, you know, Alex, uh, it's fun to listen," and and Alex will point out things. That oh you know you can mix this and this and this and get that like you 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 you've got the combos and the different things to point out to people, 
So yeah, you, you've got the the real uh, the good gaming insights, um, or, or they'll point out how much you know when, when we both cover a book, how we both really get into the lore. Uh, overwhelmingly, it was episodes about the lore. Um, how much people like that we when we cover it in depth. Um, and we heard from I've heard from listeners I hadn't heard from before. Uh, I've heard from you know I've heard from uh, from fans who've been around for a long time. Um, it's just it's just a really great um, it was just a really great uh, bit of response. It was it was touching. I uh, I don't know what else to say. I was really it was kind of wonderful. So yeah, it really is. And like I know you haven't sent them all to me yet, but the ones that you have sent me, it is. If you can't tell, I get down easy. I carry a lot of weight uh, on my shoulders about everything that I do. And this is something that I do carry a lot. And it means a lot to see that kind of positive response. Um, and just the sincerity of said responses from people. Um, it helps me like refocus and get my center back when it comes to the show. Because I... We talked about this when I first started that I wasn't sure if I was cut out for this show. Which, you know, I just keep saying. I don't know why you're thinking that. But, I mean, you know, Chris, you did the same thing for the first, like, six months. It, I get it. Yeah. So, it's just, I know it sounds petty to have that kind of validation, but it really does, like, hit the check boxes for me when I need it sometimes. So, thank you, everyone. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I just, I don't even know what to say at times, you know, as we're going through some of this stuff. So uh, I just want to thank everybody who wrote in or I got, we got a video sent in. We got a couple of uh, voicemails and uh, it's just, it was, it, it was really fantastic. So I really do appreciate it. Um, I, we'll do the contest, uh, uh, the winners at the end of the show, I think. I think that's probably the easiest way to do that. Yeah, they've got to sit through what's about to happen before they can get their stuff. Yep, yep. It's totally okay. All right, so let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do um, we'll do a very abbreviated everything else before we hit Soul Wars. Yeah. All right, we'll be back. Hey, guys. This is Chris Tomlin from The Black Sun, and you're listening to Garage Hammer. Hi, I'm Greg Dan from The Hydras, and when I want to listen to non-UK Warhammer, I listen to... Garage Hammer, not Garage Hammer. They do say it wrong. And we are back with the Garage Hammer news. What? What? What is this? Cancellation notice. Dave, what is this? Oh, uh, yep, 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 yep. So, okay, um, you know, between the fact that we can't always talk about what's coming on in the news because, well, we don't do rumors anymore. And, no. um,. And then I start guessing at things, and I don't know anything, and every once in a while I hit close to home, and I think I make Alex nervous. So uh, rather than have a separate news section and then go into the toolbox, we're just going to kind of wrap it all into the toolbox uh, from now on. I think that's one of the small changes we're going to make. Um, the show's really long a lot of the time, and sometimes the news and toolbox goes on for like 40 minutes. And yeah. It's probably not necessary. I mean, there are people who write in and they really do enjoy when we talk about what we do in the hobby, but I think, uh, especially uh, I myself, can be a bit more succinct. So, um, in the future, after, you know, starting from basically today, 
Um, we're going to do a that's, – that's like the big change is we're going to try to keep the shows a little more reasonable. And this is the one part that, it, that <laughs> fluctuates the most. Is the news in the toolbox. Yeah. And a lot I mean, of the it, toolbox we do want to keep. Uh, oh, sure. The news is just one of the big areas that if you follow anyone else on social media, if you follow – Warhammer community, because we all don't get the notifications on our phones from Facebook or in the emails about all the great stuff that they're doing, us rehashing it, except maybe talking about cool, pretty models. Um, yeah, I and mean, it's not with contributing. The news, a lot too of times, you know, stuff is releasing, and on the news, by the time, if you don't listen to it right away, it's old. Yeah, so. exactly. Or we may miss it if it's in between our episodes. So it's yeah. one of those things that we're trying to be time conscious when we are a very long-winded episode. Yeah, so that's that's the big change. We're going to try to truncate and keep that stuff a little more streamlined so that when we do get into, especially these books, uh, whether they're novels or battle tomes, um, it's... Uh, it's it's not going to, you know, it'll take up a little less time because they do get pretty long. Yes. As we've elaborated on this for like five minutes. Yeah. Well, there you go. But so. regardless. So that's what we've got going on as far as like the news. There isn't any news. There is news, but Joey's talked about it. So. Right. We're not. All right. So um, a toolbox. What have you been doing? Anything well, interesting? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I've finished up another unit of Ishlian Guard for my Deepkin. Played a couple of games with it, and I'm finding myself really enjoying playing with Alapexes, which are the sharks yeah. that everyone kind of underrates. I have been getting a lot of good work out of them. Killing characters, going through hordes of ghouls. Uh, they've actually been doing work, and I've really enjoyed playing with them and doing something that isn't just 18 eels. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's been fun doing that. But I've also started working on new bases for my Stormcast army. Uh, the ones that I have right now, for those that are not familiar, is just like grit, uh, some dead leaves, and static grass. And when I put that army together, it was right at the beginning of AOS. Not everything was fleshed out right. And I think I can do better. So that's what I've been doing. I've got a green stuff roller. Uh, which right. I think you're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, to do more like temple basing. So that's going to be the scheme going forward. And I just got to figure out how to pull a Star Drake off of a base. But, you know, we'll figure yeah, that good out. Good luck with that, yeah. Yeah, so we'll figure that out and everything will be good. Um, and then, as far as like the hobby stuff, that's really been it. I haven't had a whole lot of time to hobby because I painted the nursery. So, yeah. There's a lot going on. Not all of it is Warhammer related, unfortunately. <laughs> well, that happens. Yeah, absolutely. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I finished Nagash, and I got the base and uh, got it all done. Uh, got it painted, got it glued to the base. I'm super excited. Like, he's done. I may I may go back in and throw a couple of skulls from the skull box on the, you know, on the base. But um, that's about it. That's really it. You know, it's really finished. So I've moved on. Now I've got uh I've got Ryan Nichols Head X incursion 
uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm quickly painting up about 30 Space Marines and a vehicle and a dreadnought. And so I'm, and I'm mostly done. I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm basing, you know, washing, highlighting, you know, um, just trying to get them table worthy. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I really, I, I enjoy, uh, painting space Marines. I just do like they're, they're kind of easy. They're fun. You know, I'm going to try to get the decals on, on the shoulders before I go, but you know, it's just, they look pretty cool when you're done with them. And uh, they're just there's a lot of details on them. They're fun to work with, so uh, I just really enjoy that. That's what I'm. That's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I do want to say thanks to Ryan for another thing. Um, he saw the bases I had done, and he's like, "Oh, how'd you do that?" And I told him, you know, I rolled them out with the milliput, and he actually found a video that says if you take this uh, plasticine, it's kind of kind of like Play-Doh-ish stuff. Um, and then they had a video you take. Uh, the the milliputs the two part mix so you take one part of the gray one part of the yellow and then one part of the plasticine and you mix all of that together and it <clears> makes it a little less sticky and a little more rubbery and then um, the guy the one video he actually put a little baby powder like poured a little baby powder into some water and then he brushed on the water with a little I don't know why the baby I don't know how much of a difference the baby powder actually makes. But then when he did that, then when he put the green, you know, he got kind of flattened it out to near where he wanted it. And then he rolled the green stuff roller over it and it wasn't sticking to the roller at all. Mm. And so I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been using a pasta roller to get it to the right thickness that I want. Right. On the green stuff world uh, stuff. But I've had the issue I've had is where it doesn't stick to the base. It comes up off the base when I use the green stuff. Oh, okay. When I try to roll it, I have to let it like sit and dry a little bit on the bottom before I hit it with the roller. Otherwise, it pulls it off the base. Yeah, it does start to pull. Now, I was just doing it flat on the table because I bought uh, these concentric cookie cutter rings that run anywhere from about 20 mil up to about three and a half inches. Sure. And so I just roll out like one big, like I'm, I, I roll it out like I'm making dough for cookies. I just roll out the whole thing and I sit there mm-hmm. and I just boom, 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 cut out the little rings for the bases and then i take what's left the you know the stuff all in the middle i roll it back up roll it flat and keep doing it until i okay because i just use i mean i was making like for for all the i'm you know i'm gonna put all the skeletons on it and stuff like that i'm gonna have like i'm gonna need like 80 or 90 right so for all the different uh you know for the undead army you know so i'm just i'm just you know assembly lining them i know you can roll them right onto the base and mm-hmm. I know a lot of people do that. I I just I roll them flat and then uh, cut them out, and then I just glue them to the base. And it fits flush with the top part, not the whitest part where it flares out. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I mean the the one I mismeasured the one for Nagash's base because I didn't have Nagash's base here. I had to order one because I got, I bought him when he only came on a square base. Sure. Um, and I miss. I thought it was 120 mil instead of 130 mil. So he, it's like about an eighth of an inch short all around the top of the base. But I would, I'm like, I could redo this, or I could just put him on this damn base. And so I was like, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, rolling out a a, a, <laughs> a CD sized base on milliput. That was a lot of milliput I used. So I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm just. I'm leaving it. I'm content with it. So. Mm-hmm. 
it's pretty cool. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, and as soon as I finish these uh, Space Marines in the next week or two, I'm going to get back to uh, painting up some night haunts and some skeletons, and I'm just going to start cranking out um, the undead army. Um, and if I need any breaks, I'll just go back and touch up stuff on the Stormcast or maybe do some shoulder decals or stuff like that because I've still got that, and I haven't finished everything I've got. So they're going to be my, I'm gonna, while I'm working on Undead, like need a break time, we'll go to just, you know, touching up little Stormcast things here and there. So Sure. It works. Um, did you do any gaming or anything interesting? Um, not that I can talk about, but uh-huh. um, I did end up watching Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. No. What do you mean, No. That was objectively one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Oh, your movie card privilege, your movie opinion privileges are about to be revoked. You need to understand this right now. That okay? Look, it's not. It's not one of those movies that I'm going to ask you if you enjoyed Big Trouble in Little China to determine whether or not I trust your taste in in uh, movies. Those usual those questions are usually: Did you enjoy the Michael Bay Transformers movie? No, that's crap. That is hard, hard crap. But is the great it, snappy dialogue now? You know what's her name? Uh, Kim Cattrall. She was kind of awful, but it had great dialogue. It was fun. she was the best part of the movie. Oh, she was terrible. Her dialogue. She was, was she was terrible. Yeah. Who else? Have you seen this movie? The oh. movie is terrible. Oh, it is not. It is. He meets okay, up look. with his friends. He's up all night nope, drinking nope. and gambling, and then suddenly, boom, his friend's girlfriend is kidnapped, and they're out on an adventure. That's fantastic. Buddy, I'm just going to put this out to you. I watched four movies the same day. I watched Big Trouble in Little China. I went and saw The Meg. I watched Reign of Fire and Highlander when I got home. Big Trouble was arguably the worst of the four of them that I See, watched. You're just saying this because Scooby Doo is crap. That's what it is. I know that. No, this has it. nothing to do with Scooby Doo. This has everything to do with you made me watch a goddamn awful movie. Oh, it's and I just want to so prove much the point. fun. It is so. Is it? Much- is it? It was maybe fun in the '80s um, when it came out. Well, okay, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a little dated. It's obviously. It is 80s. not a little dated. It but is a lot dated. No, and it, no, even, like, no, I like 80s no. movies. Like 80s action movies, I do enjoy. Come on, those that fight one, scenes. Those fight scenes were amazing. Those fight scenes were awesome. All those. I mean, those were a lot of famous martial artists in those in those fight scenes, running around, jumping, flying. And I'm really sad that they did those. His movie. friend. His come on. Every time Wang steps up, he goes to another level. He just keeps stepping up, being the hero. Jack uh, always trying his best, but having all sorts of bad things happen to him, like total unluckiness, but then it totally no, gets no, out no. of bed. No, it's not unluckiness. It's uh, ineptitude. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It is so bad. And then the end, he's like, are you going to kiss a goodbye? And he said, nope, and walks. I was like, oh, my God, that movie is fantastic. The movie is awful. Oh, you're so wrong. Chris nope. Hughes is going to have words with you now. That's great. He's wrong, too. <laughs> oh, Oh, I I feel I feel bad. I really I feel bad that you just don't get it. It makes me sad now. So no, sad. that's okay. Like I'll happily play the game with you guys, 
But that movie, hot garbage. Oh, man. Ugh. That makes me sad. So That's sad. great. I'm gonna, anyway, I'm gonna have to tell moving along. All right. So the other thing, uh, we've started planning for Adepticon already. Yeah. Because that's what we do. Uh, so this year, we are going to need some serious help with regards to rules judging, paint judging, uh, the whole nine yards, because we're going to have an 11-week-old at Adepticon, and I don't know if Carrie will really be able to help us. Okay. So what we're doing now, and this is going to be coming up on Twitter, um, for those that don't follow us, it's at Adepticon underscore AOS on Twitter. So please give that a follow. There will be a link getting posted in the coming days. If you volunteered for us, I know there's a couple of folks that have already reached out and said that they will help us volunteer. We are just trying to get everything coordinated and collaborated. So there'll just be a link to submit some basic information on a Google form uh, as far as what you'd be interested with doing, with helping out. Um, we're really going to need the help this year because we're shooting for the moon and I'm not going to have Carrie Ann. So we are definitely going to need the help if you're willing to help, um, even if it's one day or if it's set up or if it's tear down, we're definitely going to need the help. So if you're not on this, please get on it. Um, Adepticon underscore AOS and look for that in the next coming days because we're going to need the help. we got a lot of people coming and there's a lot of changes being made that are positive. So we just want to keep it going and make sure that we go into 2019 as close to firing on all cylinders as we can. All right. Well, I'm in. Yeah. I got your back. I'm, I'm, I'm in to help. And uh, there you go, folks. He's putting out the call. You don't hear Alex do that too terribly often. Um, if anybody is, wants to come and wants to help out at Adepticon, you know, last year we had a bit of a skeleton crew and we, uh, we pulled it off, but we could definitely use, uh, more help if anyone is willing to, um, help at, you know, at, at during any of the days. Um, it doesn't just have to be for the GT, right, Alex? No, it is any of the days of the week. And that's starting Wednesday night with set up. And then the events on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday teardown. Um, I know everyone kind of jumps in on Sunday to help move things and get it so, so we can start packing it up and really do appreciate that. But if there's anyone that likes wants to come in and dedicate and say, you know what, I'll help you guys load the trailer, get everything square away, like stay after we do awards, that is also very helpful. Right. Okay. Um, you got anything else? I don't know what else to have. All right. I'm just checking. Um, except, except maybe Dragonfall, just as a last plug. Um, we sold out the AOS singles event. Um, we've got a wait list going. Probably going to be expanding more. So check that out, dragonfall.com. And yeah, that's coming up in about a month and a half. So Sweet. Yeah. Uh, okay, I only got one other thing too, and I want to thank uh, Dominic uh, Reitman, who I guess he was listening an episode or two ago when I said I was trying to get the Monster Crunch game, <laughs> which yes. is the eat the eat the cereal uh, as one of the five uh, General Mills fruit 
you know, the fruit brute and fruity. Count Chocula. Yeah. So it showed up in the mail. Like he found it and sent it to me along with this really wonderful letter saying how much he enjoys the show and all the things he went through. Um, you know, he was listening and then when, uh, when AOS dropped and his whole, the whole community in his area pretty much dropped out and he was, you know, he wasn't feeling it that much either. And now he's not only coming back, but he's building up a community around him and it's fantastic. And I was so excited. I was excited for the letter. Like I just got the letter first and was reading the letter and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then I look in the box and there's a, co- and I couldn't find it, dude. I'm telling you, I was like, when it came out, I was already, it was like sold out everywhere. So we got it and we pulled it out that day and Barnett came over and we were playing it with the kids. And you know what? That game's quick and it's really fun. It's, uh, it's simple enough to learn in like, you know, 10 minutes, even if you're not a gamer. And, uh, but there's enough little bits in there, you know, for each of the different things that you're playing to give a little variety, enough variety to it. We just we played it a bunch that night. We had a blast. So I really want to thank Dominic for sending that to me because it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Dominic's good. Dominic is good people. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So that was totally unexpected, and I really appreciate it. So, all right, I guess that's it for the toolbox. Uh, we should probably jump into Soul Wars. Yeah, we probably should. All right, so why don't we? Yeah, it's a lot. Josh Reynolds' four hundred page story about the the basically the beginning of the Soul Wars. It's um, it's the Necro Quake and one of the major battles after that started. Basically, yeah, it's the major battle uh, after the start of the Soul Wars. Like this is the thing that kicks it off. This is where we have the Necro Quake come in, but the. There is a couple things I do want to mention. Like, the cover of this book isn't Hammers of Sigmar, which is, like, the flagship chapter, or uh, Stormhost. They're in the box set for Soul Wars, but this is not a Hammers of Sigmar model or character on the front. It is definitely Anvils of the Heldenhammer, which is one of the other Stormhosts. And... I, when I got this book, I was thinking, okay, this is just going to be a more thorough, in-depth explanation of the background that comes in the Soul Wars box set. And I did not get that. I got something far better. Oh, yeah. Um, so the primary focus of this book is on the Anvils of the Helden Hammer, which we've seen a lot of books uh, with the Hammers of Sigmar and the Hallowed Knights and... With the new progression of the game and the new development in the Mortal Realms, they've switched your primary protagonist to the Anvils, which are heroes of another age, which are like a more somber, more dark-type storm host. So they more closely match the new landscape that we're finding ourselves in. And they're the ones most associated with Shyish anyway. So... Now we've got the Stormhost that's based in Shyish that is now going to be going to war. So, yeah, it's just the background is so different, and they're not the I have to win it all, I have to win, I have to be perfect. They are, there's something different. They don't fit a type. 
really to me. Right. I don't know if you found that as well. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, one of the things that I was really sort of focused on were the parallels between Sigmar and Nagash, because you got a lot of both of them in this book. Yes, you did. And um, a lot of what they do is very similar, but not the same. And so mm-hmm. you get a lot of these parallels, even though you know it's, it's a lot of this two sides of the same coin type of thing going on here. It is. Um, it is very much that. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the things that I, I you know, that as you go through it, we're going to look at. Plus, you know, they, they drop a couple other. Int- There's a lot of little, little drops and and bits and things in here. Uh, a lot of bits of flavor that are really just great in the overall story that really add to it really well. So even if it's just like a small little nugget, exactly, exactly. So um, I, I guess we should just uh, we should jump in, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, I should. There's a lot to cover here and not a lot of time to do it. Right. So the you get this prologue here, um, as sure as death, and it starts off with a, with a skeleton who's walking and moving grave sand. Mm-hmm. One little piece of grain sand. Um. Now, once again, it talks about how far it walks. Uh, it says ten thousand leagues or more. You know, it to the to the edge of the realm, mm-hmm. which is something like thirty four thousand five hundred plus miles, or fifty five thousand five hundred sixty kilometers. Basically, one about one point four times around the Earth in one direction. So yes. it's almost three times around the Earth. To go there and back with a grain of sand. And he's got thousands of them doing this. And they've been doing it for centuries, if not, if not, you know, thousands of years. Um, now, there's a little weird part in here right in the beginning. You know, it's, it's walking. It says there was a soul of sorts in those brown bones. It was a small thing akin to a last ember of a diminished fire. It had no hopes, no fears, no dreams, no desires, only purpose. Not a purpose it recognized or understood, for such concepts were beyond such a diminished thing. The directive that provided motive force to its cracked bones had been applied externally by a will and a mind such as the dead thing could not conceive and yet recognized all the same. So, now, is that... The, uh, you know, it says the master had sheared away all the dead thing had been and made it into an engine of singular purpose, the only purpose. Is now that thing of a soul is that that bit of Nagash that he has put into the skeleton, or is that a bit of a soul in the skeleton? Because I was talking with Rotor about this, and we were having this whole discussion of it's, it's kind of unclear if any of these things still have their own souls. Skeletons, okay, so we're going to go back a little bit to the world that was. Uh, Black Library had released a book called The Libra Necris, right. um, which I believe you own my old copy. I think um, I do. So in that particular book, it's written from the point of view of Manfred von Karstein, who details the different types of the dead. And he talks about the different Nehekharn principles that animate different corpses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And with skeletons, they have a little bit of their soul still in them, which makes them better fighters and follow more directives than a simple dead walker 
zombie. Okay. So there is a bit of their own soul, but it's not, it's just enough to power the machine. It's not any sort of identity or anything beyond a simple directive and ability to follow more complex orders. Because I know that that's different than what the Tomb Kings had. Because remember, I was reading in the End Times and the Tomb Kings, they would read those scrolls because they were literally putting that person's soul back in their body. Which yes, is, that particular soul. Which is what made them able to fight and do all those things. Whereas the necromancers just raised them back and their own force of their will made them do things. Yeah, you saw that more with the Deadwalker type zombies, but the skeletons, and especially now with Age of Sigmar, they're giving the skeletal pieces more of an identity beyond just some brute. And we'll get to that when we talk about Yaros and uh, the uh, Charnel Queen. But there is a bit of the soul of the original occupant of said skeleton. So, left in there, but it is just enough to power the engine, and Nagash or whoever is controlling it gives it its directives. Yeah, because later on in the book, and this isn't any sort of a real spoiler, but there's a part where they there's some you know some people get killed, and of course, as you die, they wind up you know bringing you into their army, uh, the undead, and like the one guy goes and pulls all the souls out. And has the souls working with the Night Haunt army, and then the other one comes up and raises the the bodies and turns them into dead walkers. Yeah, dead walkers are different. Dead walkers are nothing more than a bit of animus magic in them okay. to make them do things. They're nothing more than a shell. Oh, the spirit okay. has nothing to do with being in a dead walker. So that's the dead the walker is that legit just the animating force of the necromancer controlling it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so um, this is I, I, I like I, I I love getting the you know the the like gods points of view. So getting a lot of Nagash in here and a lot of Sigmar, it's like when you get to see the Emperor when you're reading the thirty k novels. It's always a great little bit that pops in. Um, they do talk about how. Uh, in every realm, wherever anyone dies, some aspect of Nagash is there. Um, usually something that small, they would have some other lesser being picking them up. But now there's only one. Where there had been many, now there is only Nagash. All were Nagash, and Nagash was all as it should be and as it must be. And um, it's... It's kind of crazy as he goes through here because you realize that he is just, he's got to control everything. As he's moving these pieces, it's just this little intro, this 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 skeleton walking, this grain of sand. But it gives you this sort of idea that everything in the realm of the dead is completely under Nagash's control at this point. Any anything that's all that's dead. I mean, there's obviously living people in there that he doesn't control, but we've already read in the Night Haunt book that if you don't actually worship him, he's going to make you sorry for it later. <clears throat> but it does set up. He is the only god in this realm of the dead at this point. Everything is under his sway. It's kind of crazy. Yes. Uh, but that's a short one. Then we jump into chapter one. Um, and this is great because it's not just an uh, introduction to the characters, but you get far more of Nagash. I mean, it starts off in the Black Pyramid. 
and he's sitting there. Um, he's been sitting there apparently for a couple of centuries. He hasn't moved. No, he's been sitting in the Gashazar. The pyramid was a construct. Oh, right. But, he's been sitting in, but I'm saying he's been sitting here in Nagashazar by the Black Pyramid for right. centuries. He's got spiders crawling in and out of his eye sockets where they have woven webs and burrowed. Uh, worms have burrowed into his boat. Like, he doesn't even pay attention to that. He's just sitting and his mind is out everywhere. Um, he's apparently powerfully psychic. Like, beyond... Um, most anything else in this realm, it seems like, or any of the realms. Uh, he can literally sp- sp- split up his mind and become all sorts of different things and see what's going on in all sorts of different places. Uh, I didn't realize, you, you don't realize how powerful he is. Like, I knew he was a god, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's a god, and he does all this stuff, but you read this, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, he's got a different mentality because the death magic, as we've talked about in previous Balton movies, is where they, where he bequeaths his chosen servants with bits of his own knowledge. Mm-hmm. And since he is death, he is the very essence of amethyst magic. He is a part of all of it, I think, regardless of who animates said corpse. So right. he gets to channel his essence through that and see all of these things. Right. Now he doesn't look through everything all at once at all times. He's not all knowing. And he, um, and this comes up a couple of times cause I get confused, especially Archon confuses me a lot after reading this book. Yes, he does. Um, but he's just, he can be almost everywhere. He literally says he shook off the dust of centuries and fair. So he stands up, he realizes as he's sitting there and he's thinking about it and he's watching all of the parts being put into place by all of his minions, that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. There's a problem. And first of all, um, the Greenskins are attacking. Yes. This is part of the tie-in from Malign Portents. Right. Where they get led into Shayesh to go for the big fight. Uh, and they actually make it all the way to Nagashizar, which is fairly impressive to make it all the way that far. But if all of his legions have been to defend Nagashazar, protect the Grand, the Black Pyramid, then maybe it wasn't that hard. But they're fighting all these other armies en route to Nagashazar, the Stormcast, the uh, Chaos Hordes. So there's they worked their way to get in there, and right. now they're just making a mess of it. And he calls out to Archon, who is right there. Even though he hasn't moved in centuries, Archon is there and ready. And he gets up. He's like, there's something wrong. And as he's walking, Archon's got guards flanking him. And he's like, dude, no, I'm not worried about someone trying to assassinate me. But if it makes you feel better, go ahead. Um, and then there's little weird bits. And these are the bits that I, I, I really sort of latched on to as I was reading. Um, he's talking to Archon. And Archon's like, you know, you know as you command, whatever... Uh, I am your servant as ever. And it's like Nagash detected something that might have been disdain in Archon's flat tones. Of course, such was impossible. The Mortarks, the Mortark was no more capable of defying Nagash than the skeletons charging through the wastes. And yet he seemed to, in innumerable small ways, as if there was a flaw in him or in Nagash himself. For a moment, the facets of Nagash's being hesitated. Then as ever, the black machinery that passed for his soul righted itself and continued. He'd been mistaken. There was no defiance, only loyalty. All were one in Nagash, and Nagash was all. Um, and this goes through 
like this. Constantly, him questioning these little things. He's not omnipotent. He knows a lot, and he can be in many places at one time, but he's not, you know, uh, he doesn't know everything. And then he said, you know, is there a flaw in, in me or in him that I've put him together this way? And it's like, oh, no, of course not. But it's like there's, there's, a, there's just a touch of doubt. There's something that's a bit of that human left in there somewhere um, that I kept grabbing onto when I saw it. Yeah, it is that small sense of doubt that he cannot get away from, and that drives him absolutely bananas. And realistically, at this point, I do think Nagashi is a little crazy uh, <laughs> beyond the normal I'm the god of death. So, uh, But they did mention something in here on page 14 where they talk about Oryx being the, anti- the antithesis of the discipline armies of uh, <laughs> And to me, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because... Is it, like, just the idea of the perfect order versus the wild abandon, the, like, machinery part of undead versus the natural instincts of the Oryx? And it's like, why is this not chaos? Why is destruction the antithesis? I thought that was a weird statement. Oh, I think he just meant that it, that the, the, it was just the Oryx, how they're just... They're out there just reveling in the battle. They're just loving to fight. They're out there. They're screaming challenges to skeletons that can't even answer them. Um, they're they are uh, the the disorganized mob um, who are out there full of emotion and 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 uh, and 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 verve and you know vigor, whereas the skeleton armies are just these ranked set doing their thing. Um, I, at least that's how I took it. I didn't think he meant that they were, they they in particular, it's, uh, you know, because obviously chaos would probably be, you know, the opposite, everything constantly changing. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just, I think we were just talking about in the battle, you know, watching this, the straight ranks of skeletons going in and doing their thing and defending and the Oryx just flying all over the place doing every crazy thing and just... <laughs> You know, uh, and there's just the reaction, how they're the the passion that they have, whereas the skeletons have none. That's what I was thinking. Um, and so now the Black Pyramid is uh, under. Uh, there's a problem, and. He realizes it. So as this is going on, this is the part where the where we know where the Skaven had have put a gnaw hole into the middle of the Black Pyramid, uh, and then the pyramid, like he starts up, he is starting the the ritual. So they get in there as he's starting the ritual, but then when the ritual starts, like all the magic and stuff that happens, sort of traps them inside it, so he can't get them out. And they can't escape, even though they're trying to. And this is what causes the problem. Um, what I thought was really fascinating was uh, where he just sort of disintegrates. Yeah, where he just like his body just like his spirit comes out of his body, and his spirit is what wings it into the black pyramid, and then he forms himself a new body from the death rattle slaves. Yeah. And the workers that are inside the Black Pyramid. And he's done this before. 
if you've read the Nagash, the Undying King Black Library book, he formulates himself out of zombies from the ocean floor. Oh, I didn't so know. So he can coalesce himself from these different things. So Nagash himself is not this one singular body. It's a spirit that inhabits a shell, essentially is what Nagash is. That's crazy. Yes. Um, so now, at this point, he doesn't realize that the Skaven are in there, though. No, he just knows there's something wrong. But he's going to the pyramid to complete the work before the Oryx do something to screw it up. Right. So he goes in and he begins to this complete works. the ritual. Yeah. And what I found, what I found was really interesting is that the gods of chaos actually manifest in a way in the pyramid as he's working on this ritual or yeah, on the I, other side of the shade glass. It's like they're looking in at him. Yeah. And he gets to see there was, where was it? There it is. He says, hail old horrors. I see that I have your attention. And he knew that they would come because they'd be drawn to the power of what he was doing. And he even says, but you're too late. It is begun. Something bellowed and great claws of brass and fire pressed against the reverse of the shade glass, cracking it. An avian shadow peered down through the facets of the ceiling, whispering in many voices. The stink of or the stink of rot and putrefaction choked the air. And they did also mention there was one thing on the top of the page, this is on page twenty. The air of the chamber stank of hot iron and spoiled blood of sour meat and strange incenses. He heard the rasp of sharp-edged feathers and the clank of great chains. Now, they don't mention Slanesh doing anything in this particular page except for that one section. They talk about strange incenses and the clank of great chains. Because we know he's bound in the hidden gloaming to chains. And he is always associated with the incenses and perfumes, um, that hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, that gets associated with Slanesh. But I thought Slanesh was tied up and couldn't necessarily engage in a way like this. Right, but if he's off balance, remember he's been out of balance because of what Marathi's doing. I'm wondering if little bits of him are starting to manifest or at least get mm-hmm. be able to get out. Yes. I'm thinking that might be something there. But, you know... He's dead. He's never coming back. <laughs> what do people know? Okay. So, at this point, we don't see the great horned rat, which I thought was a miss, because he's a he's on the Pantheon now. Yes. But we do see the Skaven, and that's when he detects them, that they are interfering with his ritual again. And he even has, like, a flashback to the old world where he was in Nagashazar, he'd completed his great ritual to reanimate all of Nehekara, and of course it's Skaven. That's how he dies as the first time freeing Alcazar and everything like that. So it's always Skaven. It's the life unbound versus the death. So it's almost like history repeated itself. I found that to be Right. 
repetitive, ironically enough, throughout this book is that there's a lot of things that reminisce from the old world, but are different. Yeah, I mean, he, but he even talks about it later in the book how the the you know the whole universe goes in cycles, mm-hmm. and as they go through these cycles, um, you know, things tend to repeat, and he remembers things from these other cycles and things that have happened. Um, I do like when he does start the ritual going, and you get the first blast of necromantic energy. All the orcs who are attacking, they're just aged. They're all their flesh just sloughs off their bones and they're just dead. And I'm like, Oh, that's what would have happened all over. Had this ritual worked properly, you know, just, uh, it said that their, their flesh left off their bones. Billions of skull faced beetles poured from clouds, devouring the green sin still in one piece. I mean, it's kind of crazy what happens down there. Mm-hmm. So, um. Yeah, it's just this was so really good. Now he does start set, talking about how he's going to set himself up. Um, you know, where I am eternal, I'll pull down the sun. I I'll set time. There will be no gods before me. Uh, all will be Nagash, and Nagash will be all. I'm like, he's like the Borg. Like he's just going to control everything. And that's what he wants. That's what he's yeah. always wanted. Yeah. Um and here oh here's where he talks about how the mortal realms are new built on the bones of the old this is just the newest iteration. Um but I noticed here as I'm reading this he seems to have an imperfect memory and he wonders if this cyclical nature of everything includes him. Like he keeps saying he's the master of it and he's outside of it. But he's he has doubts. He's not certain that he's outside of it. And I think that's part of his new psyche with the reinvention into Age of Sigmar for Nagash is to have these kind of cloying, lingering doubts, the fractured memories of lives previously lived or taken. And I think that plays into what we're going to see with, as we go through the characters, um, with Ferris, Thom, and just Stormcast and Turtles in general, Stormcast Eternals in general. Because this sounds very Stormcast to me. Yeah. The concept, it's the immortality, I think, is what it is. But then everything starts to run together, and as time goes, you lose some memories, or they become pieces or fragments. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between the two of them. So, as you see this, it's it's interesting. Um, and then everything... Even though this ritual doesn't go perfect and there is obvious flaws in it, that big wave of necromantic energy goes out. The chaos gods sort of fall back to their realms. All this stuff happens. Everything stops. And then at the very end of the chapter, Nagash just smiles. It's like, oh, I got this going. But death is, he's always smiling, though, as a skeleton. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Let's take a break and. We'll jump back into this when we get back.
That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back, back with more of the Soul Wars. So, okay, in Chapter 2, we wind up in Glimsforge, which is one of the major Azir strongholds in um, in Shyish, yeah. Uh, and we meet Elia, who is sort of your basic orphan scrounger. Like, if you've ever read books or watched movies, you sort of know who she is, right? She's running yeah. around with cats. I love how they have cats from all the different realms. Like, apparently animals just sometimes wander through realm gates. I can see that. So or people bring them through yeah. as they move around. So she's got all these cats that sort of follow her around that they seem to understand her. And you're reading this, you're like, okay, this is someone who's going to be important later. Um, yeah. And I do like that it's cats. Because cats have always been linked to the underworld. They've been linked to death even through ancient Egyptian text. Mm-hmm. Um so and heck, you go back to that like movie, the mummy. He the cats would hiss, and he would run away from them. He, yeah, he didn't like you have it. that, or even something like Constantine, where a cat is used to help send Constantine to hell in the movie. Right, and he even says, "So, well, you know, nothing better than a cat. They're half in, half out anyway." So they've always been responsive to the dead in most culture, like even with black cats associated with witches and. All that other stuff. So the cat thing, I thought was interesting. Now she starts mentioning some guy named Ferris, and she keeps saying how he never leaves the tombs and stuff like that. And you get a really weird description of him, like, who is this weird, creepy guy? Um, and then you get later in the story, you're like, okay, that was sort of a weird, misleading sort of uh, of description of him in the beginning, because it turns out he's one of the Stormcast and he's guarding these tombs. Um, yeah. And then. You know, you get uh, some of these guys, Fosco's men. They're the corrupt city guard. And again, sort of the stock characters you'd expect to see. The You know, the corrupt city guard, they're out there. They're making a little extra on the side by extorting travelers and stuff like that. You can totally guess their role uh, later on. They're sort of not-so-nice guys who eventually, you know, sort of rise to the occasion and save and defend the, uh, you know, the, the realm um, you also, you meet Ferris, uh, let's see, uh, you get these guys, these little black walkers on patrol, little things like that. She's going to head down to the crypts because after this, like a lot of these chapters are all happening as the necro quake happens and weird things are happening. This girl's like, I'm going to go down to the crypts because that's the safest place to be. I know I can, no. I can hide there. Um, yeah. Well, she goes down there to spend time with Ferris. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, she identifies with him. And Ferris, uh, since we haven't mentioned his rank, he is a Lord Castellant in the Anvils of the Helen, Anvils of the Helen Hammer, Stormhost. Um, he's the guy that oversaw the construction of the maze 
that's built under Glim's Forge. And this is to guard the 10,000 tombs. Right. And they're going to mention this a few more times as we go. And it's a ever-rotating and changing maze to help keep the spirits that are in the 10,000 tombs under control to prevent them from getting out. So he built this ever-changing thing that the spirits can't navigate through the wards or how it changes all the time. But because of the cats, Elia can get to wherever she's going because the cats, for whatever reason, have this extra sensory that they can get her to where she needs to go. Exactly. And that's kind of generally cool. defined. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you can't trick them. Because he had all of the. You find out later that as they were designing this, he, it, you know, everything's constantly changing to confuse the dead, and that he really designed a lot of this. He knows the way through, but yes. everybody else gets confused. But you can't trick the cats, mm-hmm. so she can get her way through because of them. Um, it's it's a nice, interesting take on how she gets in there. Um, but this is all to keep the dead where they belong. Because you're first of all, you're in Shyish. They're gonna they tend to wander anyway. Yes. Um, uh, I like that uh, she says how the Stormcasts are frightening, but they're not as frightening as the Black Walkers, who are like the weird, you know, priesty guys who are walking around, sort of defending the city. They're they're sort of sinister looking, scary guys. So apparently, these Stormcasts are not as frightening as the ones in the City of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, Which are the Knights Excelsior? Yeah. Uh, so as now, as the Necroquake begins, it says how the air starts to taste sour and people start to feel ill. They're looking around, mm-hmm. and you can just see that something—the stars seem to be coming, like disappearing. Yeah, the sky has gone purple. Yeah, um, and that's what she runs down to tell Ferris is that the sky is purple. Right. Um. Yeah, because I think it's weird. It didn't just turn purple, though. It turned so dark that the stars that they were seeing at night suddenly they just sort of looked like they were all winking out. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if the, if the realm is being separated or if this is supposed to be symbolic. You know, almost a fright tactic. You know, that all the realms are being cut off from one another. Um, right. There's there's all sorts of interesting omens and portents happening in here. Um. You also find out that uh, Ferris knew Elia from when she was even younger. Uh, her mom died, and she was there with her dad. And apparently, now they never go into too much detail about the dad. He's a bit of a drunk. Yeah, he, he's a broken man. Yeah. Um, the mom died, which was bad enough, but then apparently she came back, and she tried to eat them, and she like grabbed the daughter and was going to... And the, the dad couldn't even stop her. Like, and I guess that I'm I'm guessing the combination of the wife dying, then coming back as a dead walker, then trying to eat the kid, and him not being able to stop her. All of these things piled up to him, sort of just being this sort of a drunk. Um, I think wasn't it Ferris who saved her? He, yeah, it was yeah. Ferris that killed the thing that was her mother. Right. And, and saved her. Um, and then you get the little flashbacks, little connections. Um, you know, when he got swept up at, into being a storm cast, he was defending his own family. And as everyone was dying, boom, he got swept up. So she reminds him, of course, you know, that's that, that young girl sparking those little memories of his own family. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then we get Callis Eltane, uh, and she's walking around here, uh, and she, I forget, she is a uh, Liberator Prime. She's a Liberator Prime. Prime yeah. Uh, who's a recent addition to the Angels of the Hell and Hammer. Um, and she thinks that she recognizes Elia. Right. And Ferris sort of acts oddly when she asks about Elia, and I'm sitting there going, that's got to be her mom. Like, I'm yeah. pretty certain. At this point, I'm like, it's early, but I'm thinking, I've, I've read enough books. Yeah, you kind of got that hint, because she acts and thinks, like, in a very motherly fashion towards her. Like, why should you let her down here? Uh, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. So. All of that's happening. So we're pretty, I'm pretty convinced, without the real proof at this point, that that's, <laughs> excuse me, hold on. Oh, goodness, goodness gracious. Something just, like, breathed in and something got into my throat. Like, ah, like a little something. Dust mode or something, you know, scratching your throat like that. Blarg. Um, wow, okay, sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, the the whole, it's, it's obvious. I just, I was surprised that apparently she was not only reforged so quickly, Especially after what we hear about the forging process later, but she was forged so quickly and sent back to the place like where her kid was. Mm-hmm. When so many of these guys are sent and they don't see the people they knew, um, right? So I, I don't know if I thought that was a little contrived or not, but it just seemed it seemed out of the ordinary for what most of the Stormcast stories are. Yeah, and I think. It's like, even in previous books, they've mentioned with regards to, like, Tarsus Bullhart going back to Shyish, because uh, that's where he is from originally. They do tend to do that, but the quickness of it uh, was a little striking. But Yeah. Um, you get a little anvils of the Heldenhammer philosophy going on here. Uh, and then you get him talking about Nagash. He's God of death, and when we perish, he seeks his due. He claws at us, even as we ascend to his ear, tearing away bits of us who we are in his great greed. And she's like, how do you know? He's like, I listen and I learn. Uh, he likes to eat apples. You know? Yes. Um, but those are triggers for his memories, though. Right. Right, and that's the little bits. Like they throw those little pieces in there, things that he remembers. Oh, and then you get to the part where he he's talking to her, and uh, and uh, and then Ferris has this little thing in his head. I'll do my best to see that you never do. That she's not going to die. For two deaths are enough for any soul. And I'm like, wait, she's never been reformed. So two deaths. And I'm like, yep, that's his. That's her mom. Because you got her dying, and then you got the zombie her getting killed. I don't know what her mom did or who she was to merit being um, made a storm cast, but apparently you don't have to necessarily be a warrior. You can just have the, uh, you know, you got, you got heart. Yeah. It's the quality of the soul, which I think is interesting mm-hmm. because you constantly hear all these stories about people, you know, fighting and fighting and defending their families. And at the moment that they're about to be taken, these are the guys you hear about. You don't hear about some woman who was killed and then came back as a zombie to, and was trying to devour her own family, and then she gets pulled up to be a stormcast. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you get the necroquake here. All heck is breaking loose. Necroquake, necroquake. Um, of course, 
Callus does one of the things. That they're like, I don't know what's going on here, but something's weird. And then Callus says, what could be worse than walking corpses? And I'm just like, oh, at least it's not raining. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And actually, some screaming starts happening, and then she looks, and he's like, what did you just say? She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Because even she realized that's a dumb thing to say. Um, Just because it can always get worse. Yes, the what popped in there. And it's Night Haunt. Of course. Of course it is. Um, all right, you know what? Let's jump to Chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got a Night of the Living Dead interlude here, and you get a couple of them in this story. Yes. Um, this one, you've got um, some Slanesh demons and some Slanesh uh, devotees. Yeah. And uh, but this is an Akshi, so this is yeah. not in Shayish. No, no, yeah, no. They're jumping around to different. Yeah, they're in different uh, realms. Yes. And um, you know. There's some Slaneshi lord, and everybody's dancing and gyrating and doing Slaneshi type stuff, and all of a sudden, everything starts going crazy. The necroquake is affecting everything. Um, the skulls of all the people he'd killed and decorated in the place all start to come back and try to come after him. Um, and then he's watching the stars start popping out and he's like how exquisite because you you know of course it's Slanesh it's got to be something like that yeah it's a new sensation right um now what's really cool is now we meet Lord Arcanum Balthus Arum and you know you're reading this and you always get their names and I don't I don't dwell too much necessarily on their names but with Balthus, you have to. I didn't until I got to the last part of the book, and because okay, the only time they say is they say his last name twice in this book. It's here, and I think in like chapter eighteen or nineteen. Um, and I didn't even pay attention to it because uh, I, I wasn't thinking about it. But as we start getting through the story, I start reading. Um, is Balthus Arum is Latin for gold? And Balthus Arum, if you jam and mash his name all together, Balthus Arum. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I, and, and there's all sorts of hints in here I started picking up on. Um, but I didn't even realize that Balthus and his name's Gold, his, the, the last name they gave him. Uh, so I was like, okay, that's, uh, there's little hints and things here. Now, he hangs out in the library. Um, I love that he's battling this mystical tome. He's a he's a he's a he's a book warrior. He's a he's a scholar. Yeah, and that's what the Lords Arcanum and the Sacrosancts their job is to try to find the flaw in the machine so this way they don't have the pieces of the stormcast that go missing that they can make their reforging process perfect. And he's going through the Grand Library of Azir, which is like that great repository of all the knowledge of the realms before the fall. Um, in the age of chaos. So it's even maintained by like monks and priests, which is very similar to like even just the middle ages where the knowledge was kept by the priests, by monks. So it's similar tie in there. And these are, um, um, and they're armed. Yes. The librarians are. are armed and they carry around a large book, which is chained to them. And, 
anybody who checks out and reads any book, they record who checks out what and what they're reading and what they're looking for, which I thought was interesting. That they, yeah, they're, it's... they're keeping a record. You're not just checking things out. I mean, I used to check out tons of stuff at the library, and before it got computerized, they didn't keep track of what books I was checking out. They just checked out books to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now it's like, whoa, that's just, I mean, I'm not certain why, but I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Well, this is, I think this goes back to the fall when Sigmar had to come down and like purge any bit of taint from Azir. So I think this might be one of those fail switches that they've put in where it's like, if you're reading books about necromancy, they want to know, you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. they're trying to control that kind of forbidden knowledge to prevent an uprising or something like that from happening in Azir. And also, I have this mark here. Um, somewhere below him in the halls of the Illumination, 12,000 monks. So they got 12,000 guys working in this library, if you want to sense a scale. Not all of them human or even alive. Work tirelessly to record and transcribe the knowledge. Wait, what? Like, who do they have? Obviously, they don't have skeletons down there. This isn't shy-ish. But they have just, like, ghosts and spirits who, like, died, and they're like, I'm going to keep working in the library. Maybe. I mean, it's got to be something. They're not alive. I mean, they literally took time to mention that. I thought that was crazy. And, of course, someone shows up to get Balthus, and uh, first one of the librarians shows up to get him, and he's really old. And he's been here a long time. And Balthus has got kind of a stick up his backside. He does. He's very about people giving the proper respect and the proper deference to their betters. Um, You know, all of this is happening. Uh, Then you get some of this info. And I did not get... I've I've been reading other things. And I've been reading books for work, too, on top of just reading for pleasure. So I haven't read the Stormcast Eternals, the lore section, because I I know most of it. Mm -hmm. So I haven't sat down to read it. And I don't know how much of this is in there. But you get this where it's like uh, one of his friends shows up to pick him up. uh, Tyros. He's a Lord Arcanum for the Hallowed Knights. Right. And he's sort of a he's he's got a bit more of a sense of humor, and he comes to get him, and he's like, "Hey, come on, it's our turn." So these guys take turns working, um, overseeing the forging of the stormcast at the anvil. Yes, at the anvil, and that's kind of interesting. That's kind of fascinating. That has to do with their armor motifs as well. If you've looked at any of the sacrosanct stuff, they do have a lot of anvil marks on them, on their shields, on their helms. This is part of their job, is to oversee the reforging process and to uh, contain the souls, whether in foreshadowing, the ones that break free from the reforging process to hunt them down or to make sure that they go smoothly into the process. That is part of their job. It's everything to do with the reforging. Um, I also like how he's like, what do you mean it's our turn? He's like, we were just in there. He's like, dude, it's been a week. It's our turn to go back. He's like, it's, he's been in the library for a week. Mm-hmm. He's like, no wonder I'm hungry. It's like, oh, goodness. So, um, like I said, we already talked about, they know there's a flaw in the system, and they're looking for a way to repair it. 
And he's convinced it's somewhere in that library. And so basically when he's not working at the Anvil, he's in that library going through stuff. There's a couple of books he has not been able to translate. They've stumped him. And that's sort of the, the battle he's having there. Um, this chapter also gives some really interesting bits of uh, Azerite and Sigmarun's geography. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to go through all of that in detail, but there's some really nice, interesting bits in there. And then you get into the chamber, and there's Malus, which is the big center core of what was left of the Warhammer world. Yes. And it's called Malice, and I didn't I was like, wait a minute. Like is that it's na- like is that just the name of what's left of the core? Did they just name that? I got all excited, thought maybe that was was that the name of the Warhammer world? Cause no. Just the core is named Malice. Uh, see, cuz they never I, they never had a name. I was kind of hoping suddenly we had a name after all this time. Cuz I didn't know what it was called. It was always just called the Warhammer world. Yes. No, it's just Malice is the core. That's where you get Sigmarite from, because uh, that's what the core of the world that was, was, was Sigmarite. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get you get basically more stuff about the, the layout of the place and how you can go through. Um, you can't even get through certain parts unless you're wearing Sigmarite. Yeah, so, so it's only would... the Stormcast. Right. Um. They go through there, and people are trying to get through. There's this one guy who reminds you of Heimdall in Asgard, the sort of the guy who's sort of the guardian of the little gate to get in there. Who's coming here? You know, mm-hmm. uh, he reminded me of that. Uh, and they did talk about some of the stuff that Balthus was working on, and the languages, and how they were of, of a distant age and unintelligible now. And that totally makes sense. It's like if somebody wrote this. Well, yeah, but it's literally thousands of years ago, and. Um, if it's been written that long ago, language changes enough where it might be indecipherable unless you have some sort of a key or know where it came from. But basically, this is just them sort of trying to get to the chamber and get to the job. It, this is really, chapter three is just an introduction of Balthus and how he's kind of uptight. Yes. Um, yes, which, he is. Which I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you got to introduce character. You got to give him a background. You got to give him some, some something. Mm-hmm. And that's who this guy is. Very uptight, very stick in the mud, uh, very focused on getting that job done. And then chapter four, we get another nice little Night of the Living Dead scene here. This actually reminded me of the scene from Heavy Metal with the uh, World War II bomber. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a, a Caradron Overlord who there's a there's a ship out in you know just sort of floating out there, and he's in there about to sal- he's going in there to salvage what he can. He's going to loot the place, basically. There's rules of salvage. He's going in there by the rules. Everybody's dead. He's going to go in and take what he can from the ship. And then the Necroquake hits. And while he's walking around deep in the ship and he thinks a crate is shifting, that thump, thump, thump is actually all the Dwarden who died. And he almost escapes, and then they drag him back in. And, uh, you know, typical, I mean, this is, this is literally right out of half the zombie films you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But it works. It builds that mood that it's happening everywhere. Dude, it's happening out in the skies. Yeah. You know, it's happening in the realm where there's Slanesh worshippers. It's happening to everybody. Um, and then we get to the Chamber of the Broken World, which is in the Sigmarabulum, which is where 
this is where they go to do the the reforging. This is this is uh, where the anvil is located. Yeah, uh, the soul mills are also here. This is where mm-hmm. all the stormcast go. There, if they can't reforge you immediately, you sort of this is like the you know it's I don't know, the halls of waiting or you know purgatory or whatever as you're waiting to be reforged. You're in this. You're literally milling about. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get uh, some other cool little bits that I found interesting. Um, you know the big statues, sort of uh, blocking the way, which are made from the twin kings Mog and Gamog, who basically you know had to serve Sigmar as a shield bearer for years for defying him. Um, which reminded me very much of Gog and Magog. It's just flipping around, just uh, you know, sw- switching a couple of letters. That's the right out of biblical characters there, um, bringing those same sort of stories in. Uh, you get into that chamber, and the chamber, uh, it's interesting. They talk about this thing, this this machine crafted to refine souls and make their weapons. And Balthus, um, he doesn't find this very pleasant. He knows uh, that their gods, at their most callous, often regarded mortal lives as little more than raw materials, things to be changed, broken down, and reassembled in a more pleasing or useful shape. Even Sigmar was not above crafting awful wonders in his drive to defeat the ruinous powers. This is exactly what we read in Night Haunt, except it's what Sigmar's doing instead of what Nagash is doing. Nagash is doing. Um, you know, recrafting them, raw materials, making them into a more pleasing or useful shape. And it's like, that's another, it's like, well, they they're actually are doing a lot of the same thing. When you see Nagash calling him a thief or calling him, a, you know, a... a all these the names. Betrayer. Yeah, it's like, wow, he really is kind of using even the same techniques in many ways. Now, um, I think one of the things we're going to come to see through the book, and one of the things that I just assumed as I'm reading it, is when you read the Night Haunt book, Nagash is just, I mean, he says he's just, and you get what you deserve, but nobody deserves eternal punishment in these little realms. Um, or maybe they do, I don't know. But he goes through and does these sort of things. Um, he just reshapes everyone into like the tool he needs. Whereas Sigmar is reshaping them into a tool, but they are not just puppets of his will. He is picking out people who have the elements and the personality and the temperament to flourish under these circumstances. So there is a difference there. And it's, it's subtle, but it's big. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you notice that we have an elven stormcast in here? You're talking about Helios or Miska? Uh, I was talking about Helios. No, I think he's just a free spirit. Okay, they said he's lithe and graceful, even in his armor and robes. Uh, he had not been whispered he had not been forged from mortal stock, but something rarer. So I, I yeah. yeah, there's hints. I was just like, oh, you know, it, it, it. I mean, we finally got female stormcasts showing up quite a bit. It would be cool to see stormcast of other races. No, that's okay. Oh, <laughs> wow. We only want human stormcast. All right, uh, yeah, they're like the, the greatest potential is in man. That is which true. Is really, what this is about. It's the potential in a person's soul. And that's what Stormcast are. That's what Nighthaunt are. It is 
the hidden away potential for what they could be. And we all know those elves are soulless monsters. Well, (laughs) some of them, but it's regardless. I think I can't imagine that a lot of elves would qualify to be stormcast. I think they have their own gods that they serve, even if they work with Sigmar. But regardless, I think he's just one of those like warrior poet type people. Like he is a master swordsman, but he's also like sort of aloof. To me, when I read Helios, he sounded like Achilles, like that prideful, um, somewhat challenging personality, but still like artistic in a way, very like reflective. So I don't know. He, when I, when I read Helios, he reminds me like an Achilles type character. Okay. Um, and then the last bit of this chapter, there's only one other thing in here because, you know, they're all sort of getting ready to do the, they're already, they're getting, this whole chapter is them sort of walking to the anvil. This entire chapter is for us to get the lay of the land and see how things work. Basically. Yeah, and to introduce characters. I mean, Miska, we kind of skipped her. She's a knight in Cantor. She's second in command to Balthus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she comes into play later. Uh, and Because she has the little, uh, the little vials, right? Yes, and that she is. Sings the souls into them. Yeah, and that Balthus can do that too. Um, part of being a Lord Arcanum is to have those spirit vials, but she keeps them a little closer, I think, than he does. Because Balthus isn't like a normal Lord Arcanum; he's not as active in regards to this process. So I don't think he takes it as seriously, because his job is to find the cure, not to deal with the process. Right. And that and that's where his focus really is. Um, yeah. It causes a little strife because he's very different mm-hmm. from the rest of his group. Um, yes, he is. The one last bit in here, um, as one, the mage sacristans raised their staves with a single voice. They cried out a word in a language dead for uncounted eons, that of the 12 lost tribes of malice. And I'm like, what? Because weren't there, uh, wasn't Sigmar when he was one of the, the you know, when he, he was, was the king of the Emborgians? Right. And there were 11 other tribes that eventually turned into the uh, provinces of right. the Empire of Man. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? I believe so. I lo- See, just little tiny bits like that where they actually, they work, you know, the stuff that we know is now these myths from so long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was having this whole discussion with Harrison because we were talking about how language changes. Um, you know, I'm sorry, you know, linguistics and li- English lit major type stuff. And Harrison like, didn't like that dwarves now are Dwarden. And I'm like, okay, but language changes. I'm like, language changes uh, over, uh, actually over a very short time. Pronunciation, and small things like that, the words will change. And when you think of the eons that have gone by, that these these words are words that only Sigmar knows anymore. That language is long dead. And I just find it, I, I just, I kind of like it because, I mean, obviously everyone here speaks English. Or at least we read it in English because it would be stupid, you know, to, we, we have to understand what we're reading. 
But the language that whatever it is that these guys are speaking is not the language that they spoke back on the world that was. Um, this, like I said, this sort of tickled my uh, Tolkien linguistic um, changes. Uh, you know, tickled my fancy on that because I just I, I find that stuff fascinating. But that's just mm-hmm. the dork side of me, the, the super dork side of me kicking through. No, they do mention it in other reads. Um, I forget which book it is. It was. Bladestorm, uh-huh. um, where they encounter a tribe in Chemon, and because that's what they do in Celestial Vindicators, they go to Chemon. Um, but they talk in the language of Azir, and then they have to switch to the dialect of the tribesmen because they can't understand it. It's too, like, ominous, as it were. Right. Like this guttural thunderclap. Of intonation, so I don't know. Yep. All right, let's jump chapter five real quick. Um, mm-hmm. We're still getting introduced, of course. Okay, the third aside now in the realm of life. All sorts of stuff is happening. The necroquake runs through, and all the underworlds seem to be emptying. Um, like I said, it's it's once again you, you have the the stars winking out one by one. It's, it's, it's as if Azir itself were swallowed by the dark. Um, he keeps mentioning it around there, and it's like, I'm wondering almost if, because Azir is the heavens, right? And it's like... Yeah, he, but it doesn't provide the light. No, so but is he trying to isolate each place? Like, is he really trying to keep the realms locked off from each other as best he can? divide and conquer is he trying to isolate azir and keep sigmar the heck away from things it just i get that feeling as i'm reading this and maybe i'm reading too much into it but they kept mentioning as the lights winking out and they, they can't see azir anymore and i mean it could be that or it could just be that ice that feeling of isolation and hopelessness that he's trying to get that feeling of being cut off from azir but i like that you know, I mean, when an author repeats certain things over and over and over again, it's usually because he wants you to pay attention to it. So I'm just <clears> wondering if there was a little extra meaning in there. Um, plus the, uh, of course, you're in the realm of life. Who will hold until the last dawn breaks? Only the faithful. <laughs> of course, they have to mention the uh, hallowed knights, um, and they're just fighting the dead that come rising out of the roots and... Great opportunity for someone to do a converted undead army. I suggest you do it. Somebody please do it. Um, undead what? So undead from the realm of life with like roots rooted into them. And Oh, okay. I thought you were doing undead stormcast. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? No, no. We'll get to that later. Um, then we're back in the Sigmarabulum, and they're about to go through here. Um now, I got to say, they're still not there yet. They're still walking through the place. We're still seeing all of the bits and pieces. They haven't started the reforging ceremony, which we are going to see a reforging ceremony coming up. Um, I did not know exactly where this was going yet. I hadn't caught on to my Balthus Aram uh, idea yet. And this really reminded me of the stuff I read. In fact, it was really from Fulgrim. Now I know I don't know how much of the Horace Heresy stuff you've read. But, I read Fulgrim. Okay, but you get a lot of that. You can always tell which of the characters were going to fall to chaos because they were sort of the cocky Jack Holery kind. 
And as I'm reading this, you've got this sort of good-natured, happy-go-lucky Stormcast, and then you've got Balthus with the size 12 graphite pole up his backside. And he's always complaining about everything. And I'm just like, what is going to happen here? Like, I don't think, like, and I wasn't thinking we're going to get, you know, you know, Chaos Stormcast, because if you will introduce another faction of Stormcast to this, not just another chamber, but a whole other faction, uh, I, I think there's some 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 fans who are going to lose their minds. They're already mad how much Stormcast gets centered on this. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen, but it felt like that to me. There's a there's this sort of feeling of this sort of pride or arrogance or whatever is going to come back and be a problem. And that's sort of the feeling that I kept getting as I was reading this here. Is it specifically from Balthus? Yeah. Is where you're getting that? Yeah. Um, Balthus, I think, is just very rigid, um, which I think is a counter to his role, where he has to be fluid. Um, He expects things to be done a certain way. He expects certain things to be dealt with that reverence. As we've mentioned before, and he doesn't cope well with change, which I still find weird, as we'll talk about later. Um, but they start talking about uh, Gnosis, or however you say his name, Gnosis. I nauseous. thought it was Gnosis. Yeah, I thought it was Gnosis. Yeah, Gnosis. Um, Heaven Sen, who is like one of the foremost Lords Arcanum, and naturally, what is he? He's a hammer as a Sigmar, because um, reasons... Um, there's rumors about that he is close to finding the answer, because why wouldn't he be? He's Hammers of Sigmar. He <laughs> is the uh, most lorded. And Tyros uh, had said something, and this is something I found interesting uh, on page 79. In all glory once more to our brothers in gold, the stars of our lord's eye. Vandis, uh, Hammerhand, or uh, no, what's his name? Uh, is it Hammerhand? I think so. Yeah, Vandis, Hammerhand, Ionis, uh, it's Ionis Cryptborn. He's the Lord Relictor from Vandis' uh, Stormhost. Uh, Black Talon, obviously Knave. Um, and then soon Nauseous, Names of Legend. Tyrus' tone was teasing. Um, and it's just, I think there's that resentment from the other Stormhost towards the Hammers of Sigmar. And for a good reason. Bit. Yeah. A lot of it. Uh, I mean, Let's call well, a spade a spade here. Honestly, they're the ultramarines of of this game. They're they're numerous. There's a ton of them. They are the poster boys. Uh, and they're god awful. No, they're I, not. You, yes, they are. But they're recognizing that even the other storm hosts are sick of them. Because they are always the ones that are succeeding, and they're like this shining example, and their contributions mean nothing. Yeah, how, to this grand how scheme awful of things. that they're how awful that they you know that they that they get the job done. What what's what's wrong with them? Well, there's a lot wrong with them. Um, Jealousy. That's an ugly thing. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying this is one of the flaws with Sigmar's process is because they still have these emotions, the jealousy. And as they chip away and they become more and more akin to like a more primal spirit type thing, they lose that, but it's, they're still human. 
Is that a flaw? I think that's a good thing. I think that's the thing that's separating them and gives them that potential that you talked about outside right. of the undead. I like that they've got these human qualities. Yeah. Um, so it's a flaw in terms of like they're not the perfect weapon that they are in that regard. Because if they were the perfect weapon, they'd be like Night Haunt. They would just be the soul. Right. And it has a singular minded purpose. But their flaw is being human which is something that other humans don't identify with Stormcast. That they're not human. That there's something altogether different. It's... I, keep, I hate to keep drawing the parallels, but... Um, no, it's... We... I get it. Yeah. I'm just tired of hearing it. Sigmarines. Well, no, and I mean... And, I, and I'm not saying it mockingly or, or insultingly, yeah. but it's that whole... I, that idea that, yeah, they look human, and they were human at one point... But they're, but they're changed. Not. They're changed now. They mm-hmm. literally. I mean, and this is where it's very different than the ultra, than the than the than the uh, space marines. Which is why when people call them sig marines, I just kind of shake my head a bit. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, they have the heavy armor and they're the bad. They're the tough guys. But it's really that's that's a lot of where the similarities sort of end. Um, these guys literally have a spark of the divine in them. They mm-hmm. have a, they have a bit of sigmar in them, and that's what makes them otherworldly plus that whole reforging i mean you they talk about it later where they they have to strip you down to your base components and a lot of what you are is stripped away in that moment so that they can put you back you know kind of almost like military training the psychological they tear you down to to build you back up in fact uh one of the parts i really liked in this chapter is they say the nature of these tri- the, the the seven times seven trials that you have to go through before you make it onto the anvil mm-hmm. uh the nature of these trials is a mystery even to the lord's arcanum in the sacrosanct chambers grunjni had devised the trials with the aid of sigmar to test the strength of a chosen soul a part of Balthus yearned to know what his own trials had been like, but a greater, wiser part thought it better he did not. Even they don't know what they go through. The sacrosancts see the agony and the pain that these souls are going through, the, 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 the physical and possibly psychological pain of the reforging. The obvious one is it's they're sort of screaming as, they're, as, it's, being, as it's being forced into that final stage. But even they don't know what they go through. And I, I, I was like, oh, that's kind of creepy. But they do. They have a spark of that divine in them. And that's that's very different, you know. Um, I also like that, that he can see the bits of the from their soul. Like their soul actually takes on a bit of the color of the realm they lived in. Now, I had a question on this. Would it be the realm that they lived in or the realm that they died in? I don't know. It says all souls were marked by a residue of the last realm they'd been in. Mm. So it's the realm that they lived or died in, depending. Right. Well, I mean, I'm assuming the last realm you've been in would be the one that you died in. But it, you know, it, it's just in, I, 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 like it's kind of cool. He, he can almost trace. That's. I mean, he, you know, he uses that to help trace when he's looking for for a soul. Like I know where this guy came from, where it goes. Um, I noticed that he doesn't ever notice, he doesn't see any of the realms on him, on himself. Mm-hmm. It's never mentioned. And I was, uh, that that stuck out to me later. I'm like, what? Do you, what? How come there's no trace of that on you? 
Where did you come from, Balthasarum? Um, and then I like the maid sacristan start singing the song of creation. That reminds me of Tolkien. If you read the Silmarillion, all of creation was made through through song. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I love the little nods to some of the other great uh, stories. Um, now, this was new for me in this chapter, how souls inevitably resisted the process. Uh, and some of them just fought and, and they just uh, wind up ceasing to exist. Like they refuse to be reformed. And the reforging process basically fails, and they just dissipate. Like their soul mm-hmm. is just gone. It like doesn't even. Th- th- does that mean it doesn't go to Shyish? It's just gone, gone. No, it. I think it says they cease to exist. They rejoin the Great Tempest. That yeah, doesn't sound I, anything like going back to Shyish. Yeah. yeah, not sure. And then Sigmar showed up. And it's uh, there's just such a great description of him here, um, just what he looks like, and the, the, the sound of his voice, and you know the power. He was the cold gaze of the moon and the warm laugh of the sun. He was the sound of clashing steel and avalanches and howling winds. Um, to one possessed of storm sight, Sigmar appeared to be a shard of the firmament himself, a being of pure starlight, impossible to look at for long. This you go through this all, and it's just. Sigmar has transcended. He is no longer just Sigmar. I mean, we all know Sigmar somehow became a god after fighting Nagash and then leaving, you know, back in the old the God King trilogy. You know, after he disappears, it's just like, oh, uh, and then he came back as a god. And I, I, I don't need an explanation of how it happened. I really don't. You know, I don't think anyone would give a, an explanation that was good enough you know that would not that would suffice mm-hmm. but he is the essence of the 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 realm of heavens he is the essence of heaven's magic um I, i'm not saying that it literally goes back just to the end times stuff but um when you read the end times how each of these guys sort of took on that essence and took all of that into themselves it is what he is. He's not. He is so not human anymore. No. Um. He has transcended into something far more. So it's not just they call him a god. He is. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm trying to see what else in here. They do talk a lot about Nagash because they understand that Nagash is making a push. That he is fighting back and trying to claim back the lands in Shayish. Um, and Sigmar talks about him and he's talking to Balthus and Balthus even says, forgive me, my Lord, but the way you speak of him, um, and Sigmar nods and says, once we are friends, if we can be said to have friends as in like gods, um, we fought side by side against ancient horrors undreamt of even in the nightmare realms of the ruinous powers, the king of broken constellations and the devouring light. The Abyssal Dukes and Samir, the first fire. They and a thousand others came against us in those first dim days before the mortal realm settled into firm shape, and we fought them all, Nagash and I. And he even refers to him as his brother. Yes, he does. Um, 
there's other parts in here too. I thought the mortal realms were already formed when he met Dracothian, but it sounds like they were fighting in something that was very different. Because he found, didn't he find Nagash after he met Dracothian? Yeah, he found Nagash buried in a mountain cairn. Right. Um, so the realms were there, but him. not. They weren't in the same way because even like if you read about like Grugni fighting against Vulcatrix and how that shaped the realm of fire. Oh, so that's right. Yeah. As they're going through their conquests, they're changing the realmscape. Um, oh, and also possibly as the gods sort of took their places, how the, 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 they shaped the realms in the way to that was, fit their needs right. and everything. So they're still in like early development when they find each other. So. Right. In fact, there's uh, other parts in here. He talks about all the other gods, too. And it talk- these are not the characters from the end times. That's no. something that, that becomes very clear in this book. If you're thinking that, um, what's her name? Um, Alarial was the Alarial from the, I mean, she is, but she's not. Yeah, it's the same thing with Tyrion. Yeah, they have the same thing with Teclis or Gorkamorka. Yeah, they are not Tyrion and Teclis anymore. They have memories of some of those things, but they are not them. They are something very different. And that's, I think that's, that's something that uh, really piques my interest in this is it gives you the license for them to be different than what they were, but to still have some of those familiar character traits that we were used to. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, if, uh, Teclis is still going to be like sickly. You know what I'm saying? Like probably he's still going to be a butthole, which I think is more. I love him, and I know I'm in the minority here, but I think he's fed. me and Harrison just adore him. Um, Can't but imagine why he's got a horrible personality at times. But I mean, remember he was, very, but he had a limp. He was very sickly, and I'm wondering if that's still going to be a part of it, since there's no reason for there to be. Um, Fair. But yeah, he says, let's see, uh, as Sigmar vanquished him, oh, you know what I also wonder, he keeps saying they're connected, you betrayed you, don't remind me, uh, whatever the truth of that moment, only we can say, and yet neither of us knows, and I don't know if he's saying the truth is somewhere in the middle, I also wonder if this goes back to their connection, um, remember, if you read the God King trilogy back when he was still Sigmar, the, the Barbarian King, he wore Nagash's crown and was influenced by Nagash for years. Mm-hmm. And he had trouble taking that thing off his head. And, I mean, he did smash Nagash's skull. And, in fact, Nagash remembered. There's a part here where he's remembering that exact thing happening. And not, you know, and uh, I'm just, I'm wondering if if there's, a, a, if they're putting into here that there is a a stronger connection to them than maybe even they get. Yes. Because for all intents and purposes, everything we read about Nagash, even says here, Nagash, you know, (laughs) Nagash has ever desired to be more than what he is, to be more than a manifestation of death, to be death itself, a universal force mightier than the entropy of the ruinous powers. And Nagash does say that many times. He's like, once I take over all the realms, I'm coming, I'm going after the chaos gods. Like that's his plan. Uh, it's like, and you know that all the different gods have. I mean, they're all joined up to fight chaos. And Nagash is like, yeah, but I'm the one who can do it. Um, he he he's kind of crazy, but 
I feel sympathy for him in many ways in here because he's got a plan and he's like he's arrogant and he's a jerk uh, and and he thinks he's better than everybody else. But there's many times in here where he proves. I mean, one on one, he may be better than the rest of them. Um, at least more powerful. I mean, he it's might- his willingness to make the sacrifices that other people won't. Yeah. Oh, that's right out of uh, that's right out of the usual suspects. True power comes from willingness to do what your enemies won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then oh, and then as the as the necroquake happens, Sigmar gets hit with a migraine. A little more than a migraine. Yeah, he grabs his head, doubles over, and starts screaming. And then the whole mm-hmm. Sigmarabulum starts falling apart. And this is when they are actually um, Ferris is being remade, reforged. At this time. And uh, with the swell of the Necroquake, things go wonky. Um, Sigmar stands up and screams, this shall not be. And suddenly, you know, he just flexes his power and keeps everything from collapsing. He's not going to let Nagash do this. But while he's doing that, Balthus and the rest of them are trying to keep this... This, the uh, soul, the lightning geist, yeah, which is lightning ghost. Let's call his right. fate. fate. Um, and he, Balthus is trying to control him, and he's like, "I name and bind thee, Ferris Tom," because he like reaches into his soul to try to calm him down and bring him back. Um, and he ends up breaking out of the Sigma album. He chases him up to the top of the Sigma album, and. During the process, Thumb falls into the void, not back down towards the anvil, not into the soul mills. He falls off into the void yep. of the realms. And Balthus hears laughing on the winds. It's Nagash. Um, of course it's Nagash. And it even says on page 93, the Sigmar album was a flame and somewhere a god was laughing. And that has to be Nagash. Oh, yeah. Because this is his message saying, "I'm back." Oh yeah, it's this. This is it's get it's getting kind of crazy here. But so, um, all right, we've got through. Well, we're about a quarter of the way done with the book. I'd like to go uh, get this more done. I think this is going to pick up like we were talking off the air. Is going to pick up as we get to the last half when it's all battling, because yeah. battles are great to read but not great to describe. So I think we'll pick up the pace here in a bit Once we start getting through some of this Um, Let's take a break We've been going for almost an hour So let's take a break and then uh, come back with chapter 6 Okay, listeners, what's the number one rule of hobby gaming? Okay, well, the number one rule of hobby gaming is don't buy more models than you can paint, but we all break that rule constantly. So what's the real number one rule of hobby gaming? Support your friendly local gaming store. And my friendly local gaming store is Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. No, not that Wakanda. And no, not that Lindsay. So why Lindsay's Gamer Garrison? What do they have to offer? First, they carry everything Games Workshop. 40K, AOS, Blood Bowl, Necromunda, Kill Team, 
all the paint line. They even have black library books. They offer special discounts every day. And if you do go in there and there's something out of stock, special order discounts that you won't believe. After you buy all your models, feel free to stay and paint them at their fully stocked, totally free to use painting station. And then, once your army's ready, sign up for one of Lindsay's monthly tournaments. That's right, they have a local one-day event every single month, alternating between 40K and AOS. And that's still not all. Monday is Build and Paint Day. Come in on Monday, work on your latest project, you get a raffle ticket. Come in and play Warhammer on Saturday, get a raffle ticket. Now, what's the raffle? Every month, two winners receive a $50 gift card to use on GW products just for coming in and playing and painting and being part of the community. And that's not even all you get for coming in and being a part of the community. Come in for that Saturday gaming where you get a raffle ticket. You also earn a Lindsay's Gamer Token. And when you have eight tokens, you can turn them in and get free entry into one of the tournaments that I just mentioned earlier. And that's why I love Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. Fully stocked with all the GW product you could want, and they're doing their best to reward you for being part of the gaming community. What more could you ask for? A place to play, a place to build, a place to paint, a place to hang out, and a place that rewards you for being there. Folks, if you're looking for one place that will satisfy all your hobby needs, you have to come and see Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. And we are back in Glimsforge now, talking about what happened in the aftermath of the Necroquake. Um, and Ferris Thumb dies, um, as we've discovered. Um, and he actually died to save Callus. Yes. Um, he got in the way. Um, and they even say, like on here, that... Some, they don't know how long it's going to be until they come back. It may take... It, does, it isn't like a day thing or months. Some take years, depending on just... I don't know if it's the quality of the soul or when they need it. Um, yeah, and, and she just feels guilty because you find out, basically, uh, Ferris died basically trying to keep her safe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously got an affinity for her, but then again, since we know that that's he, you know, he, she, he brought her down, and then Sigmar brought her up, and we know that the the girl who's always hanging around it, that's her mom. So he, he, his his sacrifice was has more reason than they realize, but it really affects Callus. She's um, very upset that he's gone and that he did that to to save her. That's their mm-hmm. job. Is to die and keep coming back, but she still felt like she feels guilty that he made that sort of sacrifice. Sure. And he is like a leader. Um, he's second in command for the particular storm host that he's a part of, but he gave himself to save her. Yeah. Um, a lowly liberator prime. Yeah. Brand new off the anvil. Um, so we do meet uh, Lord Relictor Dathus, who is one of the. Anvils of the Heldenhammer, part of the Gravewalker's Storm Host, or Gravewalker's uh, Chamber, 
and we he mentioned something. It's like, well, this is Nagash coming out, um, claiming, or and Callus even says it's like, um, it's as if he's. It sounds as if Nagash has declared war on Azir, and he laughs. Um, and the Lord of Lictors have that gallows type humor that. Um, kind of plays into this. He laughs harshly. He did that long ago, sister. This is just a renewal of hostilities. Azir and Shayish, Apex and Nadir, which we... That's what the Black Pyramid creates, is the Great Nadir. So it's the depression. Right. Uh, the heavens are potential writ large. They stir the soul and feed the soil. They bring light to the darkness and cast long shadows. All things are possible if one but looks to the stars. But in death, potential ends. It damps the fires of creation and brings silence to all places. Yeah. That's some gallows talk right there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you find out what the 10,000 tombs is. And this is... Uh, Nagash had all th- these bodies put here. And it's like, well, why would you put them here? Uh, later we're going to find out it's not just 10,000 dead people. These are 10,000 heroes. This is 10,000 wizards and heroes and lords and kings. These are guys who, if you brought them back, they would all literally be hero-level characters in the game. This is not an army of of scrubs. This is not an army of skeletons. Heck, this isn't even an army of, you know, some of these lesser uh, nighthorns. These are all... This is fighting 10,000 heroes. Um... And he's locked them away uh, for a time when they need to be reawakened and brought into the war. Kind of reminded me of the Necrons a little bit. <laughs> because they're like, this is not the only one he's done this to. I'm like, Nagash has buried thousands It of- wasn't Nagash, though. I thought he did. It was Archon. Oh, it was Archon. That's right. That's right. But uh, but Archon is Nagash because Nagash is all in all or one with Nagash. And we'll Which- come back to that when we get... To the end of the book. You know what I like is the 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 constantly the night haunts especially seem to constantly say this. It reminded me of the um, the hallowed nights only the faithful mm-hmm. because you've got to have a they literally have a parallel to the stormcast for almost everything they do. But where we have the only the faithful, they've got the all is one, and because someone will save half of it and the other guy will finish it. It's like a prayer. Mm-hmm. It's really just great. Um, oh, and here's where the God heard. You know, she keeps thinking of Elia. Callus does, and I'm, that's why I even wrote in there. I'm like, yeah, she got reforged really quick, and she winds up back there. I'm like, unless Ferris specifically requested her, I thought that was a stretch, but I'm going to let that fly. Um, I also like that they call uh, Nagash Elderbones. Is like he his, has a lot of different names. Yes, he does. Um. Elderbones, Nagashmore, the Reaper King, um, and all these are different facets because even just even throughout history, we've looked at death as different characters, whether that's a Grim Reaper or like an old friend or something like that. Um, there's just so many different facets to it. So he has to be all of these things, which is weird that like Nagash would take on like a friendly type tone when he's clearly not that right and that's weird but he has to be that's his very next section they talk about it and i love this one i mean i it's 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 
I, I say if I, if I have a favorite thing in all of these in both 40k and AOS lore, it's getting into the minds of those guys, of the people that you can't put on the table. You know, the people who are moving the pieces, because that's where it gets really interesting. I mean, I love the hero stories and I love all of this, but getting to see something that you just can't conceive of. And it's like his mind was measureless, a cosmic instrument of many parts. At any one time, only small slivers of his true consciousness were active, facets of himself molded to conduct particular errands, while the bulk of his attentions were bent to more important matters. And that's where you get, like you said, uh, Bal Nagash, the black child. Um, and here, that's where the black, you know, he comes in soothing the final moments of a plague-touched mother and her infant. Um, he, these, these are the parts that they need to be. And they're and it's weird because they are Nagash, but they're not Nagash. He is constructing other beings, other egos, other things that they need to be, but they're not him. You know, because they're not. That's that is not who he is. It's just this small little bit that he is molded into what he needs it to be for that. Uh it is like you said, it is just it's so great. Um now everything comes towards him. Now remember, the nadir is that thing that everything's getting sucked into. But now, uh, as Nagash is using the Black Pyramid, isn't he sort of forcing? Isn't he himself now this epicenter? No. It it almost sounds like it. A flood of souls descending together in an unceasing tide, drawn down by irresistible force. Him. No longer would they resist his call. No longer would the other realms take what Shyish was owed. Like he may not be the nadir, but he is some. He has become like a soul magnet. No, I think he created it, and his own ego says it's him. Ah, okay. Because okay. he's not the one that's conducting everything. It's the Nadir that's pulling everything in. But he created it. He's the one that went through everything. So he is the center, not... He is the center in his own mind. Because yeah. why wouldn't he be? He's always the center in his own mind. Right. Uh, then you get a whole... I'm not... I mean, I, there's a whole... He has another conversation with Archon. And it's mm-hmm. great. But it's just kind of long. He's basically looking out over all he's been doing. And, yes, and reflecting and saying, this is my great work. This is what I've done. Yeah. And Archon's like, you've cracked open the skies, Master. Not just here. The other gods, there are no other gods before me, my servant. Merely falsehoods masquerading as divinity. He's <laughs> so awesome. This is why I love him. He's just, I mean, but here's the thing. He's been a god. He was a god for millennia before any of these other current gods became gods. Like, he really has been doing this the longest. Like, you know, it's just, and he's, he's like you said, he's kind of gone crazy, you know. Um, he literally plans, if he can get, it's, it's right here, if he, if he, if his plan works, if he brings all the realms under his control, kill it all off, make it all a part of him where he is everything, um, he's going after the chaos gods, and he thinks he can take them. And I think that's kind of cool. I'm wondering... Now, if he kills everything, then there's nothing else. There's no more souls going to be born and recycling, you know, through. Um, unless that's not his plan to kill everything, but it seems like almost it is. Bring everything under his complete control, but they don't necessarily have to be dead to be under his control. This is where I get confused with the plan. But does he? 
draw like he you know he puts a bit of himself into all of these things um that obviously is not weakening him uh do, I mean, I'm wondering where he draws all this extra power from from that's I'm trying to you know I, I, it's weird cuz I don't need all the finer details but I'm interested in the finer details like I get that they're not going to sit and explain exactly how all this works but I kind of wish to know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'd like I'd like to see this because he is just, and there's more of it. I mean, I could sit here, um, going through all of this stuff. There's so many great messages. I love how he's like Sigmar. He tells Eric, "You know what? Sigmar's going to know what I did." You sound pleased. I am. He wanted it to be a secret, but now that it's not a secret, he's like, "You know what? Yeah, that's right. I did it. What are you going to do about it?" Um, and this is where he remembers that Sigmar smashed in his skull. Um, but there's, you know, you talked earlier about them being, Sigmar calls him his brother. And I think Sigmar feels bad. Like that they've had this falling out. I think Sigmar Mm -hmm. would like to heal it. But then we get little bits like this where he talks about how, you know, he gets that, he doesn't. We, he remembers things that Sigmar. We don't know if he really remembers or not. You know, back from when Sigmar was still human. Um, but then it says, you know, he feels uh, uh, a hand blazing like a star had puck, plucked him from his cage of eternal night. The one who had freed him, fought beside him, betrayed him, and now Sigmar is his only concern. Like right now, all he cares about is Sigmar. I, I wonder if he's kind of hurt too. Like not just that Sigmar is taking souls that he feels are his. But, like, they were, if, if they, I mean, Sigmar thought of him as a brother. Does he have the capacity to think of Sigmar that way? And if he does. I think he does. He just doesn't talk about it. So then there is probably a bit of bitterness and a bit of hurt here. I mean, I just, it's, this is the stuff, like, the, the story itself, the battle for the, for the, the, the 10,000 tombs or whatever it's that's that's cool and all like that's okay it's, it's it makes for a decent story but these are the parts that I'm I keep locking into um, and then we get to the rest of the chapter here basically um, he sees what's his name falling he sees Ferris falling and uh, and he grabs him uh, like you stink of the stars, little thing. You smell of clear waters and lightning. Are you a new thing or something different? Um, and then Archon being clever, and Archon's one of my favorite characters. Like Archon's one of my favorites from from way back when we were reading the end times stuff. Um, he's he's he confuses me. Um, because he seems to have his own plans, even though he claims to have no plans and just want to serve Nagash. And everything you read, he really does want Nagash to succeed. But it's almost... I'm starting to get the feeling that he realizes Nagash is a little bit off and might need a little guidance. Yeah, and he's mentioned that in previous uh, Black Library books as well. Where it's like, yeah, he's a little broken. His mind's all over the place. But I think Archon is his true center. Yeah, and trying to keep him under control, as it were, as much as he can. Serve him while helping, you know, helping him keep keep on track. 
But Archon's the one who's like, uh, you know, let, you know, fate has brought him here. We've got this thing. Uh, obviously, it came from Sigmar's realm. Now, if you can twist that into your own using, you can show Sigmar that A, two can play at that game, and B, you're better than him. Because you're breaking what he made. Sigmar's not breaking what Nagash has made. He's just stealing from him. Nagash can take it back and twist it into what he wants. Um, this is where I start to get confused. Hold on. Uh, if such a suggestion had come from one of his other servants, Neferata, for instance, or Manfred, he would have questioned the motives behind it. But this was Archon. Archon lacked even the illusion of free will. He was but an echo of his master and thought nothing save that some part of Nagash had thought it first. I, I have trouble reconciling this with what I see of him. I believe he's a faithful servant, and I believe he plays the role of all I want is what you want, and I believe Nagash buys it, but I just can't, I, I can't buy it. It makes for a character that's completely dis, uninteresting otherwise. I think... Archon has a part of Nagash that I don't think Nagash wants, but he has to have. So the two of them need each other, because obviously Nagash is the power, um, but Archon needs the man behind the scenes to help point him in the right direction. So is Archon his conscience? Is Archon, like, the guy that will do the things that Nagash won't admit that he needs to do? Um, but is he still Archon? And we and this this keeps coming through. He reminds me a lot in ways, and not. I mean, it's it's kind of a bad analogy, but I'll go with the Game of Thrones analogy. Um, the mercenary guy, the one who helped out Tyrion for a long time, Bra. and then he, yeah, he reminds you of him in ways. Not, and, but he's not a mercenary, but he's the guy. He's always level headed, like he always kind of he can see even when you can't see what's going on. He's standing behind you going, you know, uh, that might not be your best move. Or, you know, that's pretty good. Like, he reminds you of him in ways, at least in this story. I think he's the true center for Nagash. He keeps the the nuttiness in check. Um, And we'll come back to that. But he suggests this um, to say, you know, you're superior, you can do better, but Um, he's tried that before and he failed. True. But you learned from your mistakes and now you can, now you definitely can do it. I can totally see what the guy, you're at the height of your power. You can do anything. You are Nagash. And then he decides to make him. And there's this interaction between Ferris's soul and Nagash and he isn't outwardly Nagash at first, mm-hmm. um, but it. When I read this, it sounds like you're making the devil's deal, um, where it's you're being seduced um, to, you know, it's like I'll give you everything, but everything has a price, um, which you know just happens to be your soul, but it's promises of justice uh, for being abandoned by Sigmar. Um, and Nagash paints him as like a liar, a deceiver, um, whereas Nagash feels like he himself is like the true god of justice. He is the only truth. Right. And that comes out several times that Nagash is the truth. Like there is 
Nothing else, everything else is a lie. Well, yeah, because what he says is because he is everything and everything is him. It's 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 a bit of a crazy, you know, thing when you, when you kind of put it all together. Um, it, it's an, like I said, he's the hero of his own story, and he really is. And even though we all look at his plan and think it's insane, it, it could work. That's the thing. It's a gas yeah, absolutely crazy, but it might work. I mean, it's 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 the Thanos thing. Yeah, I could wipe out half the galaxy and fix this. Well, you could. That's crazy. Yeah, but it'll work. Yeah, but it's crazy. And that's kind of what we've got going on here with this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the bit where you talk about Stormcast don't have mortal souls. They have souls, but then the you know Sigmar has permanently grafted a bit of himself into them. Uh, and Nagash actually sees this. I, he can't rip that out without destroying the soul and making it useless. He's like, Sigmar basically is doing the same thing I'm doing. You know whether you know he's it, there's it, it it's so similar. Um, except I think obviously more of the soul stays with the Stormcast than stays instead of keeping the bare minimum. And I think that's where Nagash misunderstands because from Nagash's point of view, it says uh, he did uh, as he did, so too did Sigmar, hollowing out his worshippers so that something of him might flourish within them, whether he admitted it or not. But he doesn't hollow them out; he just adds and bonds his bit to it. Um, during the reforging process, obviously they lose stuff, but he's not mm-hmm. hollowing them out, whereas Nagash absolutely is, and I think that's what he doesn't understand. Um, right. And then the rest of this chapter, there's really there's some great parts in here. You know, um, getting the uh, Ferris's remembrance of when he got called up to be a Stormcast, the moment you're mm-hmm. being taken, and how sort of scary and terrible that was. But basically, this is the beginning of the brainwashing. Um, Nagash is Nagash's attempt to uh, start to turn him because obviously with that with that bit of Sigmar soul in him. He's not just going to blindly follow Nagash. He's going to have to be convinced. Broken. Right. And reforged on an anvil. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Oh, boy. So should we jump to Chapter 7? Sure. Okay. Um, So we're back in Sigmaron, and uh, the souls, some of the souls have broken free from the soul mills. Um, So the Sacrosaints are running about trying to recollect them. Um, and it comes down that they're sending Knossus. Heaven send is being sent to Glimm's Forge, um, which chafes Balthus to no nth degree. Because, yep. of course, it's Knossus. But also, he wants to go out and try to find that soul um, that escaped in the Lightning Geist. He wants to go find Ferris Thumb, but... No, Balthus has to go to Glim's Forge, which is one of the main bases of operation for the Anvils, but you're sending a Hammers of Sigmar contingent down to where we hold sway. So again, we are second rate. Yeah, but we, find to... out, we find out why later, though. Yeah, uh, but for sure. I like that even Malice has been affected. There's all sorts of you know little earthquakes and disturbances in it. It's become unstable after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I do like that Sigmar is all pissed and just wants to get Galmaraz in his hands and go after Nagash again, but he's like, "Nope, that's not my job anymore. I can't do that." 
what else happens in this section? Um, um, there was one thing on here uh, where he like feels the pain. Sigmar does of his warriors. He feels what's happening to Thom, even though he's not there. And it's on his periphery, but he can feel it. So we can like feel the pain of his warriors. And I wrote this down as I was reading it. It's like all our Sigmar, Sigmar is all. Because there's that spark of him, similar to how there's that spark of Nagash in everything. So is that, again, one of those parallels where he can feel it? Now, maybe Nagash doesn't feel it, but he right. can know. Probably. Exactly. Hey, listen, hold on one second. Can we can we just take a quick pause here for one second? Sure. Hold on. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I'm back. I I apologize. Uh, oh god, where were we? I'm oh, you were talking about Oh goodness. All right, I don't know. It's uh, okay. So, um Malice is obviously responding to uh, the impact, the aftermath of the Necroquake. Right. Even the dead rise up in his ear. Um, and there's even a mention of Balthus having to go down into the library with the other priests to put down the undead. Oh, right. Yeah, because they- the rising librarians. Um, I wonder if one of them was like a lady in gray and, you know, they just yelled, get her, um, as they tried to stop her. Um, Right. Yeah, that one fell flat. But that's okay. Um, so <laughs> Balthus continues with the resentment uh, towards uh, Nauseous, or whatever his name is. Nauseous. Um, nauseous. Uh, feels that Shayesh is the responsibility of the anvils. So petty. Um, and he feels like he failed Thumb. Like, I let you fall. Which yeah. is not something he doesn't broke broker failure well. No, he's taking all the blame for this. And there was a dozen of them around this damn thing, and it's all his fault. Um this is a character flaw. This guy's got issues. Like he's kind of stuffy and he's kind of a little self righteous. Um and he holds himself to such a high standard that it's messing with him. Mm-hmm. Uh this is a problem. Um I don't know. It's just uh, it's an issue that I've got with him. Um, I think it's interesting. They get they get into a bit of a an argument over here, Miska and him. Um, and he says something. She you know she talks about the you know she doesn't want to lose herself in the pain of reforging. I remember things as well, but nothing I would risk eternity for. Idly he glanced up at Malice and then away. Nothing at all. And I'm. See, and this is it, these are the little hints where I'm starting to think. I mean, can we can we say what we think or what I, I think we agree what we know right here? Yeah, he's Balthazar Gelt. Yes, he's a. I don't know if he's a hundred percent Gelt, but every indication that you read about Balthus indicates he's Gelt, which and, is so cool. But can Sigmar actually pull people? I mean, is he that much of a god? Is he outside of time that he can pull people from the world that was? That would be awesome. That would be excessive. And I really hope they don't go that far. Well, I mean, he's got Gelt. And uh, I just read in Black Library, they're coming out with... uh, Because Gotrek, you know, he came back out of chaos. Because even diving into the Chaos Gate and fighting in the realm of chaos, they couldn't kill Gotrek. 
and the audio book that's coming out in November, he comes out and he's convinced he's got to find Felix, and Felix is one of the Stormcast. That's sure. That's well. I mean, but I'm saying. No, I I know. It's just to me, I would really wish that they would pursue Age of Sigmar and the Mortal Realms as their own thing, not just constantly reanimating things from the past. Um, true, and that is my but, concern with where we're heading with guilt. That's true. Well, I mean, but I mean, there could be a few exceptions. Remember, the Emperor was pretty close to him, and the Emperor did become Sigmar at the end. There, like, well, Carl died. Um, in one of the end times books, and Sigmar re-inhabited his body. Right. So he was a spirit in a dead man's suit. But but, I, but if he's in there, he might have access to his brain. Yeah. The other thing that gets me is a lot of the, um, I forget what they call them, the avatars of the different winds of magic. Right. Um, whatever they were called, have all come through, and. Gelt was the wind of metal. Oh, so, that's right. Wasn't he the? Yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah, and that's where I think is more likely. Now, he was a servant of Sigmar. He worshipped Sigmar, but he wasn't a god. Gelt wasn't. Right. So I think that's why he's reimagined or recast, as it were, as this stormcast, um, and. We can kind of talk about the other hints about who he really is. Um, yeah, as they pop up, we'll definitely point them out. Yeah. So, no, he's definitely Gelt, I think, is what it is. Um, I forgot that he was the one who took on metal. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there was so much going on there. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, when he looks up at Malice here, I'm like, okay. Um,. That that was just one more little hint, and then, like I said, I totally forgot that what his last name was because they only mentioned it the one time in the very beginning. And by the time I start getting clues, I was like, "Uh oh!" So let's see. Uh, last part of the chapter, we wind up back in Nagashazar, and this is not <laughs> once again. So Archon's out; and he doesn't want anyone spying on him because he's out doing his own thing. I'm like, "What is?" You know he. He wants no spies, save the one always present in his head. That he thought, that he thought that was, ah, that he thought that way at all was, he suspected merely a habit of a life he'd once lived. He doesn't even know, like, if he's all his own or not. It's really weird. It's confusing. Uh, you know, was he himself or was he just another facet of Nagash? And like you said, he could be, because Nagash has put more of himself into Archon than anything. Um, but he obviously just because he's in you doesn't mean he can read your mind. He can or just can he? Oh, can he? We don't know. Does he know what he's doing here? I mean, that's 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 why I'm getting confused because I like Archon. I like I want him to have at least some semblance of his own self. You know, because um, he seems well, to be doing the things he did back in his former life. Uh, is he though? Because like. Archon, as a man, was a gambler. He was drug addicted. That's why he was called Archon the Black. Because of his teeth. But once because he started serving Nagash and then he was serving Neferata uh, for a while, um, 
he was hired because he was a cutthroat and could get things done. But once he was sort of brought into that circle, like once he became a, a trusted confidant, once they realized, listen, we've we've you know we've used him so often, he he started to know things and know what was going on. He was very happy to be that guy behind the power. He was very mm-hmm. happy to support and be that. And over the years and the centuries, that that contentedness to being the man behind the power sort of I uh, developed into this sort of slavish fanaticism where it's like I am that guy behind the power and that's that that is who I am. I think he evolved into something more. He was hired as a cutthroat and a thief for his connections mm-hmm. and his knowledge. But I think he sort of became this other thing. And especially if you read those other books, the Nagash trilogy and the Neferata books, um, he did become much more than, than what he was. And part of that is, you know, the, you know, his uh, becoming immortal, but yeah. Um, and, uh, this, this scene is really great. The personalities all really show through. You get Manfred very well. You get Neferata very well. Um, this all reminds me of the old stuff in the Black Library books because uh, they, it, it, he just hits all the right beats and all the right notes with all of them. Um, but they all show up and they're like, oh, we're here. And he's like, no, nah, Nagash says he doesn't need you. And they're like, what do you mean he doesn't need us? He sent for us. Well, yeah, but, you know, you can go home. Uh, it's 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 kind of uh, interesting here. He's, he's saying that he's seeking that Nagash is seeking new Mortarks, that you are established, you can go and do your own thing. We got it here. Right. Because all the Death Lords are coming to Nagash's are to pay fealty to Nagash and his great work because you know you need to appease that ego. Um And I like but, that she gets it, but Manfred doesn't. I mean Manfred's not completely stupid, you know, but he's not he, He's he's the brute club in the group here. He's the, he's the vicious, you know, the vicious, uh, violent one in the group. Neferata's like, no, no, I get what he's doing. And then she turns over and has to explain it nice and slow to him to make sure he gets it. Yeah. He's – and the thing is, like, in the world it was, he was painted as, like, the schemer. Um, he was the great thinker of the von Karstein line. Uh-huh. But this new – and you, when you put him in comparison to Neferata and then Archon, he is the blood instrument, even though he's always been painted as a schemer. Right. I mean, because let's face it. I mean, he was only scheming against Vlad before. Um, I mean, Conrad was the blunt instrument. He was actually yeah. the really clever one, especially when Vlad got all wrapped up in Isabella. Manfred was like the guy. And then he comes here, and he goes from the top of the totem pole to the very bottom on these on the, one of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Archon gets, well, you know, I don't know what game you're playing here. And he's like, the only game that matters. And your part's the same as it is, to serve Nagash's will in all things. And it's his will that you depart. I love Archon. He's so great. That's pretty much Chapter 7, too, while we're at it. So. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Chapter 8, Glimforge is in trouble. Stormcast are still shown as very frightening to humans. Uh, reinforces show up, but they're the Sacrosanct chamber, chamber, and almost nobody recognizes them because most people don't know about the Sacrosanct Chamber. Uh, and then we get more of the brainwashing of, uh, of Ferris. So let's kind of jump into this. Um 
you get the necroquake, still people looking at the purple sky. He keeps pointing out that the sky is purple. Uh, the color of a bruise, the color of this, the color of that. There's a lot of mentions of what it looks like, trying to make sure everyone understands. Don't forget, everything is weird now. Nothing is as it's supposed to be. Um, the the theme throughout all of this, basically. And then what else do we got? The clouds and the after effects. Um, now, they get the Zerk nomads, and their wagon fortresses are circling out, preparing for the storm. I'm like, who are the Zerk nomads? It's like, uh, we're going to introduce them to you because they're going to all get killed later, and we'd like you to at least have heard of them before we show them getting wiped out because <clears throat> they're more fodder for the undead uh, rush. What else goes on in here? Um, this is the reforging of Ferris. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is him. The more the brainwashing, more. Oh, it's like a little that. more than that. This is him actually being put into what he will become, um, and this is Archon doing it. Yeah, more than anything. Um, and on page one fifty one, uh, there's a section here uh, where he's where these undead uh, spirits bring. Um, armor meant for another. Um, yeah, here it is. Choice is an illusion. Um, well, because Ferris is saying, well, get away from me. I don't want this. This is not my choice. I will break them. And he says, choice is an illusion. Once this warplate was meant for another, a soul like yours, humming with lightning, twisted and broken by years upon the wheel, but not fully, not to the satisfaction of our Lord and Master. And so he discarded it is he does all things that prove to be of no use. That's what's his so, name. That is Tarsus Bullhart. Yep. So now we know uh, Tarsus is gone. Yeah, and they even mention that in Plague Garden, because he's the one that they're paying tribute to, as one of the ones that won't come back. Um, and then Tarsus, for those that are not familiar with the Realm Gate Wars, he's the Lord Solacen that went down into Shyish to try to find... Um, Nagash. And offer another him. treaty. And yeah. And Nagash ended up capturing his spirit. But he did that to save the rest of his chamber instead of them getting captured by Nagash. He was himself captured. And right. that was it. But Tarsus is originally from the realm of death as a man. So. Um, now, I got a little bothered by this. Um, because I don't like the idea of them creating Deathcast Eternals. Well, that's what he's trying to do, but I don't think he's going to succeed. No, well, he does, because this is what happens to Ferris, but on a larger scale, I think is more what I'm getting at. To like avoid the Chaos Cast or the Deathcast Eternals, yeah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. I think that there's... I don't either. Yeah. But... Because even here, he's got him, but the whole time, I mean, look how much effort they had to put into getting him to do this one job. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think it, it's going to prove too difficult. I think he just wants the souls back because I think he just wants, uh, eventually he's going he's gonna to keep working on him, but he's going to torture him because it's just not going to work. Right. Um, and it, it's funny because when, when, they, when, when they talk about when Archon talks about how Nagash, how he molds his subjects, 
it's basically almost the exact same description of what Sigmar does, except it's just brutal and and unkind and 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 once again, he's turning him into a tool as opposed to a uh, you know. He thinks, like I said, it's tools. It's not even a, a weapon or creating something new, some new sort of a person or a new sort of being. They're just a tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's that that idea that you know, it, it, there's just there's not there's none of the caring that Sigmar puts into this to make sure to try to keep them them. Right. Um. And I'm trying to think of this. What else is in here? Uh, some other great lines. Nagash yearns for order only when the cosmos is united under a singular consciousness. With every spirit and body bent toward the directives of that consciousness will he be satisfied. Only when all things know their proper place will he be content. All are one in Nagash, the women intoned, and Nagash is all. And you get that. Um, and then Ferris asked him, do, do you feel regret? Do you feel anything that's not of his will? And Archon's eyes blazed suddenly. Then, like a fire burning itself out, too quickly they dimmed. If I do, it's only because he allows it. Nagash is a just God, little spirit, and justice is often cruel. Um, that's insane. This is the time when I'm reading. I'm like, wow, I just don't get you, Archon. Like, what? what is happening? Like, yeah, you know. This may or may not be working, uh, may or may not be happening. I don't know. It may or may not happen. Um, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what is? what are you talking about here? This is not pleasant or nice at all. Oh, we totally forgot something, by the way. I want to – we got to jump back. Um, before we got back to uh, Nagashazar. Uh, um, oh, when the storm, when the sacrosanct, when when uh, Nasus shows up as the uh, reinforcements, he shows up, and the sacrosanct chamber marks out, and almost everybody's like, "Who the heck are these guys? Like, what what is this? Like, we have not seen this before." Um, also, when Nasus takes off his helmet. Um, he is called Nasus Heaven Sense, and uh, apparently he is Heaven Sent because he is literally the one of the last leaders of the founder founding family of Glimm's Forge. Mm-hmm. So, he defended the city in life, um, and his and this is the main storyline from the Soul Wars box set, um, where him and his knight and Cantor um, actually defended. Glimpse Forge when they were humans and they were raised up to be Stormcast because of what they did. Yeah, so we get all of that in there too. Mm-hmm. But they're almost like living saints for the people of Glimpse Forge because yeah, they actually have that his, emotional connection. Yeah, when he takes his helmet off, there's an audible gasp and everybody's like, <gasps> and say, like, uh oh. And that's, that's, there's, a, there's some definite meaning in there. They see that as a sign. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, okay, so I, I guess we can move on to the next chapter. I had to jump back a little bit to mention that, but we're good. Um, do, we, do we need to take a break yet? I don't know. Let's see. Um, well, we've been going about 45 minutes. I guess we could take a quick break. Let's do that really quick. Let's take a break and then come back and jump back in, okay? Sure. 
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back, back in the library of all places. I love it. In the library with the lead pipe. Beat Balthus upside the head until he gets some sense. Ah. <laughs> He's all good. Uh, now, chapter uh, nine is one of these where I have very thin notes. Yes. Um, end of the day, Helios, uh, the big thing is that Helios and some of the others in the Stormhost uh, for the Anvils are questioning Balthus's leadership or lack thereof. Um, yeah, they just kind of got beef with him. Like he doesn't. He he's not one of the bros. He's not right. one of us, but he's in charge of us. But he's not here. Um, and he Helios separates himself said, from his men all the time. Yeah, um, and he even says an absent leader is no leader at all um, because he's back in the library trying to figure it out. But he's also wrestling with his internal guilt for letting Ferris fall. Right. Um, but in this one, uh, Miska comes and they tell him, you know, we're, we've been cleared to go to Shayish. Um, we're going to go hunt down your soul, uh, like Ferris. Um, and he, like, wakes up, Balthus does, and he puts together this little ritual to try to find Ferris. Uh huh. Um, and it's like a soul trap. It's like a spirit that is trying to prevent uh, Ferris from being found. And it's like lightning-tinged purple. So that, of course, the indicator is aroma death, because purple and death, it's a thing. And they actually like take that spirit that's been left there as like a trap and put it into a spirit flask. That Miska just happens to have upon her person because that's her thing. Well, yeah, I mean, she's got them; they all do. Yeah. But that was really all I got out of chapter nine. Right. Uh, this one was kind of a. He's very okay, harsh on cool. himself. You're getting more of the other people's feelings towards him. You're getting a little more. They're, they do spend a lot of time working Balthus over here a bit, like character-wise, um, mm-hmm. going through a lot of his guilt. Now, there is some interesting... Now, they do talk about how the Sacrosanct Chamber's always been there, and they've been out to war about 14 different times, but often by themselves. Um, you know, but it's... It's that Balthus just constantly kicking himself through half of this. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did like when Helios, when they had the elf tree singer going yeah. through, and... He leans down and kisses her hands, and she says something to him. Words are welcome to my ears. This made into, it was a gesture, 
What it was a uh, a courtly gesture from another age, one she had not expected of him. Uh, and once again, I thought this was possibly, you know, thinking that he had some elf blood in him. But I thought we said that that wasn't happening. So I hope not. <laughs> All right, chapter ten. The brainwashing continues. We get to see a bit more of Shaiish. Uh, Ferris hears Nagash in his head and feels this pull towards him. Um, some people go to their after. We find that some people aren't being warped into other things by Nagash. Some people just go on to their afterlives. They just skip past and go to their deserved rest. Um, mm-hmm. This started to get me wondering. It is, you know, you've got these two opposites. You've got the realm of death and the realm of heavens. And death and heaven aren't necessarily opposites. I always thought that death and life were opposites. And so I start wondering if all of these regular souls who lived their lives and lived good lives skip past Nagash and don't get caught up in the wars and just go on to their afterlife and their reward, then there's the realm of the undead. But is Nagash's are like hell? It almost seems like it. You're getting eternal punishment. But if you lived a good life, you just skip all that and go to your reward. But the people who didn't wind up going under Nagash's sway. Uh, and then then suddenly you get this parallel between the realm of heaven, where those who are, who are noble and, and worthy and fighting get caught up there into the battle, almost like angels. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these demons in hell. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm not saying that's what he was trying to do. I'm just, I started to get this sort of idea that Nagash... The parallels could be drawn between, like, the Inferno, as we talked about in uh, the Nighthawk review. Right. And you've got all that happening, and then, like I said, the only reason I thought about it was because they do talk about these other souls. Well, how come these other souls are? How come he doesn't grab them? Well, not all souls are are for him. He He doesn't take those. Those have, they haven't done there. You know, it goes back to Nagash's justice and stuff like that. I just thought it was interesting that we have that, uh, and then you get you get introduced to Melendric and all that because they go basically Archon takes him to go see Nagash and Nagash is holding court. Um, and that's, yeah, he's hearing the trees and the people swearing fealty to him. Um, and I did want to mention that we actually see like undead tree spirits. Yes, marching in. Uh, because they turned away from malarial to a god that was actually there. Right. And now when, when they died, they went to their underworld. Yeah. That's really bananas. I never thought that you would see that type of a thing in here. Uh, that's great. Um, oh, by the way, Archon has become friendlier now. Archon has moved past the I'm chaining you down and being... Because Archon was a little brutal in the first stage of the brainwashing and the reconditioning. Mm-hmm. Now that now that Ferris has got the he's got the metal helmet on, he's got the armor on him. He's sort of been through phase one. Now Archon is being a little nicer to him, um, and he's kind of taking him under his wing. Well, exactly because this and, and this is your typical your brainwashing moves. I mean, he's playing good cop and bad cop, right? I mean, he's gone in, he's beat him down, and now that he's got him into some sense of submission, maybe if I'm nice to him. This is this. You, you will try this. You know, you try this angle next and see if, if you know, you've you've used the 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 stick. Now we'll use the carrot. Um, it's interesting that they they all. Now you were saying how Sigmar feels all the pain of his stormcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ferris is going how he's hungry and he's sort of thirsty and he's in pain, 
And he goes, it grows worse. Pain, and uh, Archon says, pain is the price we pay to serve the great work. Even Nagash feels it, and your pain is but a shadow of his own. Remember that, Ferris Thumb. You are but a shadow of the undying king, a part of him now and forevermore. When he reaches out, it's with a thousand hands, and you're one of them. So there's that, that another parallel. He's feeling this pain, too, of, of all of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's starting to get, get and understand it. Uh, and that's when he can feel this pull, this call of all the dead to Nagash. It's kind of creepy. Uh, where is this here? Nagash, unspoken, the name echoed through him regardless, down into the hollows of his spirit. The confusion he felt, the doubt and anger vanished all in an instant. The storm in him subsided like a startled beast. Hoarfrost crept suddenly across the panes of his armor, and he felt the chill digging into the marrow of his non-existent bones. Cries echoed up around him, so many as to occasionally merge into a single great howl. He stepped back as something that might have been fear stirred in him. And Nagash is up, this, sitting up on his throne there. Uh, this pull, this call to come to him, it's really sort of unsettling and weird. I really, It's really great. <clears throat> Um, oh, and this is where you get the thing about them going to their afterlife. Uh, oh, and then you get M- M- uh, Melendrek who fought in Glimsforge, and he's talking to Ferris. And he's like, "Don't you remember me, Ferris? I was a hero." And Ferris is like, "Apparently, not a great one. Uh, I don't remember you," which is just great because isn't Melendrek? Isn't he one of the guys in the? Uh, is he in? Is he a model? Is he a character? He's not a named character, um, but in the Soul Wars box set, he's the Knight of Shrouds. Right. Um, he was one of the three primary tasked with defending Glimsforge. So his resentment comes from not being ascended to Azir right. um, and reforged like uh, Zarafina and Nauseous were. Right. Um, so... He actually, and in the main storyline of Solars, he actually sabotaged the defenses of Glimsforge for Nagash in exchange for being reforged as a Knight of Shrouds. Right. So that's who Melendrek is. Now, was that that sabotage, is that what comes up here in this book, or is that what comes up, did that happen? Yes, it happens in both. Okay. Because I got a little confused because I didn't get to read that other part. And I, like and later on when it happens, I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like, how did that – what is going on? Yeah. So – Well, when we get to it, you can explain it. I don't sure. want to ruin it because it's literally like seven chapters away or something like that. True. Um, um, we meet a couple other minor characters. Krellis uh, Arul, the Lady of All Flesh. There's like a undead walker necromancer. Um, and then the Grand Prince Yaros, Lord Rattlebone. Yeah, uh, he's one of the white kings that commands the Deathrattle legions, um, and the they have an audience with Nagash amongst other things. Um, and I, it was a swearing fealty, which I thought was just appealing to the megalomaniac in Nagash. It's like I have to hold court; people have to swear the fealty to me uh-huh. to remind myself that I am dominant. And he's got an undead jester named Blood of Bones. Yeah, that he reanimates, and I couldn't figure out to what purpose he reanimates this jester. Only to like, I don't know, because like, Blood of Bones starts doing his dances, entertainment, and everything, and talking about how like Nagash has come back. Um, but Nagash like twists him and keeps like making him go faster and faster and faster until he like breaks apart. 
So I don't know if he's like doing this as a subtle reminder. It's like, I'm your puppet master. You are the puppet. Uh, so I don't know if he's doing it as like a subtle warning or what it was. I saw it as part of that. I saw it also as part of the whole, um, you know, this, this is what you do at court. He's holding court. I mean, always when you see the vampire counts and the undead, even the, 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 uh, what are the ghouls? The um, flesh eater courts. The flesh eater courts. There's this sort of mimicry, this mockery, this sort of a reproduction of what the living do, and that's part of it. And so he runs around, you know, entertain us. There must be entertainment, you know. <clears throat> and so I just, I that's how kind of I thought of it. Um, I love how he asks where his mortarks are. Up oh, there doing their other things, you know. They 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 didn't make it, and you know. They assure you they strive ever in your mighty name and build empires to your glory. And Nagash laughs. I'm sure that's what they say. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, do you not know what's happening or do you know what's happening? I'm not certain. Um, and then you get the job where after he gives everybody the job, their gig, uh, Archon's like, well, what about this guy? And he's like, oh, you wanted that guy here. So fine. He can have a job, but it's on you if he fails. And he's like, okay, I do like the description of uh, Ferris stared up at Nagash and knew somehow that the god did not notice him. It was as if after having delivered his commands, his mind had withdrawn to other spheres. Archon confirmed this a moment later. So, yeah, it's like his his mental, Nagash's mental capacity is just staggering. It's so cool. But that's it. Now they got jobs. Yeah, and... Thom's job is to go in and break open the 10,000 tombs. Yes. To break into the thing that he guarded, um, that Archon had sealed, and then the eventual plan is that they're supposed to march on Azir. Yes. Through the Shimmer Gate, which is the Realm Gate in Glimsforge that connects Shayish to Azir. This is a bold plan, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chapter 11. Uh, Bankruptcy. Shimmergate. Uh, Balthus and his group are ready to head to Glimmer's Forge, but Sigmar comes to talk to him first. It's a really great discussion. We'll get into that. Meanwhile, Stormcasts are clearing up the mess in Glimm's Forge as Gnosis, uh orders most things closed and fortified, and then he seals off the 10,000 tombs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you get it's more stuff about Balthus and the things that's going on with him. Uh, now I did like this. They talked about uh, in Shamon they were supposed to be fighting, and rather than lay siege, he just turned all their gold into granite, and then mm-hmm. the mercenaries wouldn't fight for them. And I'm like, wait a minute, he turned gold into granite? I'm like, so he he can transmogrify things, and that's not yeah. like, mm, because that Balthazar Gelt was great at doing that stuff. That guy was it's pretty, not like he was the great al- the grand alchemist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the grand alchemist exactly. Um, in fact, it says here. Balthus smiled. He'd always possessed an ab- affinity for transmute uh, for the transmutive magics in Shaman. The alchemical winds responded to his will with an ease that surprised him at times. It was as if they recognized him somehow. So here's a guy who could very well he'd be placed very well by uh, Sigmar in the realm of metal. He could probably do amazing things, bringing the realm of metal. You know, like you know. That's his affinity. You could send him there, but he doesn't. And it's like, well, why doesn't he? Because he's got another job for him. But it's interesting that once again, I'm like, oh, this is this is more Geld stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a guilt thing to do. Listen, we don't need to fight. I'll just turn all their gold into granite. Now they got nothing to pay their armies with. They're going to surrender tomorrow. Like that's yeah. such a. <laughs> Did you catch the name of his grift charger? Uh, what was it? Quicksilver. Quicksilver? Yeah, Quicksilver. Do you know what that's from? Uh, well, Quicksilver's Mercury. No. Quicksilver was the name of the Pegasus that Balthazar wrote. Oh, for the love of Pete. I forgot about that. Yeah, I just I figured it was Mercury, which is the realm of metal, which was no. more of the Shaman stuff. That's uh, the name of the Pegasus that Gelt used to ride was Quicksilver. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, see, yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, you got to lay down them hints. Not everybody knows this stuff. You know, yeah. some people didn't start playing till Age of Sigmar came out, so they wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sigmar comes to talk to him before he leaves to go to there, and, he, <laughs> and he's walking, and he's not leaving footprints. And Gelt notices, or Gelt, Balthus notices, I forgot sometimes about leaving tracks. I remember the sound, the wet crunch of snow beneath my feet, the feel of the icy wind cutting through my furs, the weight of Galmaraz in my hands, but I forget other things. The way your weight displaces the snow, that ache that comes from hard travel when your lungs strain, sweat, he stopped for it's easy to forget. Uh, 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 this is... Once again, it's this sort of not quite remembering the, the little human bits. Um, and I guess that comes with being a, a, a god, but it parallels Nagash again with that those little bits of not quite remembering those human pieces. Um, mm-hmm. And then as they're talking, uh, he says, Nagash has broken the order of things. Even here, even here, the effects of his, his imprudence are felt. His hands clenched and the sky shuddered with thunder. Um, his imprudence. Nagash has just set off a necroquake, brazing up pretty much all the dead everywhere. Millions, if not billions, are dying. I mean, depending on the size of the realms and how much is going on here. But at least millions are dying because of what he did. He calls it imprudence. And I like that because... That's not the malice you'd expect. Like most people would be like the evil he did here. But it's still that that's my brother. Like he hesitates to call him evil. He hesitates to name it as something bad. It's like, wow, this was a really bad idea. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, did you catch that? I did. Okay. Because I, I didn't know if I was alone in thinking that. It was just such a weird way for him to describe it. Um and then he talks about how they've entered a new age. Only time will tell whether it proves to be the last or merely the latest. Many crimes can be laid at the feet of the Undying King, but being boring was never one of them. And then Sigmar laughs, and it shakes the rocks out of the, the peak. And he actually laughs really loud. It shakes the snow from the high peaks and nearly pitched Balthus off his feet. Sigmar's laughter knocks Stormcast over. That, that's, that's strength right there. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I like this where he says, uh, you know, others had the opportunity. Oh, Balthus is all pissed off that Ferris got away. He's like, you know, you weren't the only one there. And he's like, you know, they didn't, su- they didn't succeed either. He goes, yeah, but they're not me. I've heard similar sentiment before. He's, and he gets down and I was like, I wonder, was it from Balthus? You know, like, is, is that where he's heard that before? You know, I, you know, he failed. Yeah, but they're not me. Because that sounds like something Balthazar would totally have said. Yeah, and I think he also wants to prove that he was worth Sigmar bringing him back. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You hold yourself higher than a standard than your brothers. You see yourself at odds with them. Not at odds, my lord. Never that. Sigmar not looking. No, perhaps not. Perhaps you're wiser than the gods, Balthus. I hope so. If I'm wise, it's because you made me so. And he's like, you flatter me. Now, this is, I, I didn't know how to take this. Like, is when he disagrees with them, I'm not at odds. I'm never at odds with them. And he kind of is. Maybe he doesn't see it, but he comes across that way. And that's when Sigmar's like, oh, maybe you're smarter than me. I hope you are. You know? And it's like, was that sarcasm? Where it's like, oh, yeah, you are, but I'm not going to argue with you? Or is that Sigmar sitting, maybe actually you aren't. Maybe... Maybe you really don't see it. I, I, I'm not certain how to take this bit of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he's sending him down there to, to take the 10,000 tombs. Um, I thought he was going to piss him off here because Balthus is like, oh, what am I supposed to just not go? Like, he's so obsessed with saving Ferris that when he gets signed on this mission, he's like, wait a minute. That's not where I want to go. I don't want to do that. I thought I was going to say Ferris. Like, what, are we just going to abandon him? I had a feeling that this was going to be one of those moments where the god gets a little angry, you know. This is that part where Gandalf gets really large in front of Bilbo, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, <clears throat> but he doesn't. The like, Sigmar it just is like, you know, kind of size, and he's like, oh, you know, the, just, you know, you kind of got to trust me. This, believe me, I know what I'm doing here. Which it <laughs> turns out he does, of course, so... Of course. Uh, and then he tells him the story about how sometimes when you're hunting, you just got to be patient, you know, and get wait for your wait for the moment. And then he tells him that when that moment comes, he'll be there with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last half, we jump across, and there we're we're uh, we're back at Glim's Forge, and they're fighting the uh, they're fighting the dead. Yeah, they're hunting the night hunt down in the ten thousand tombs. Yep. Um, and Dathis and Kalis have a conversation. Um, and this one I found like appropriate, but also I was a little confused by it at first. Um, they're talking about like the nature of Sigmar that Sigmar delights in the things that the Stormcast do, as he delighted in you know our fathers and their fathers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kalis says, well, that's a funny word to use in relation to a god. Um, and Dathis says, quote, but fitting, it is said by some among my brotherhood that the realms spin in eternal opposition, one pulling against the other, Azir pulls against Shaiish, Gairan against Gur, Hish against Ulgu, and Akshi against Chemon. Uh, each, the mirror image of the other summons subtle ways, other more, others more obvious, and as Azir and Shayesh stand in opposition, so do to the gods. Um, I never really understood the Gairan against Gur, because that's life against beasts, which I don't know if I bought that one, except for maybe like the idea of the rampant destruction, whereas Gairan is always about growing things. And then Akshi and Shema, I thought were actually very similar. I never thought of them as opposites. Because fire and metal, the transformative properties of both of them, I could understand the similarities, but I couldn't understand why they were like reflecting opposites, as it were. I hadn't given that much thought, to be honest with you. And then there was another little nugget that, in doing research about Gelt, Gelt was a metal wizard. Who did he 
beat to become the Supreme Patriarch of Colleges of Magic? I don't remember. Cyrus Gorman, Bright Mage, Fire. Oh. So, just an extra little nug. Um, but I never thought of those combinations, like life against beasts and then uh, fire against metal is like being opposites, but they kind of are similar. Well, I just, I never thought about it that way. Well, I mean, the gosh and Sigma are similar in here too, but they still pull yeah. against each other. I mean, a magnet is, looks similar on both sides, but they mm-hmm. still repulse. Um, the idea of, I could see Alarial growing all this stuff, and then when the orcs come rampaging through, chasing a big monster and tr- and trounce everything. Right. I could see that being a problem. Let's face it: in the realm of beasts, everything is killing everything. Mm-hmm. That's kind instead of, what of growing, it, right? As opposed to yeah, instead of nurturing and growing things, it's kill things weaker than you, and that's what it is. So I can see the opposite there. Uh, I'm not quite between the fire and 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 metal. I'm not certain. Although, like you pointed out, that that's what he did. Um. And then to close up this chapter, basically you find out that uh, Gnosis is, uh, the Glimpse Forge is is basically locking down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's locking down, and the area where the uh, the Thousand Tombs is, that's locking down within the Glimpse Forge locking down. They're going to close and seal off the tombs um, just to, to protect it even more. And that's basically the plan. They are they are prepping for the for the big nasty that's coming. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'll take us to chapter twelve, the Razor's Edge, uh, not the River's Edge. That's a totally different thing. What do you think this car runs on? God's own methane. Uh, Elia, she's looking for a safe space, and uh, we get to see Stormcast again from that more human point of view you get some little brutal and efficient and terrifying things from them uh balthus admits he can be petty he also i noticed he doesn't like to take his helmet off in public he's much more comfortable keeping his mask on when he's out in public which balthazar gelt was almost never seen without that that helm his his mask on in public well he also wore the mask because he was covering up a disfigurement Still, he never took his mask off. Is all I'm saying. Like, and just mm-hmm. when he says, I mean, a lot of them take it off. He wanted to take it off at one point. He was getting uncomfortable. He's like, "Nope, I don't take my mask off in public." I'm like, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And Nasus shows that he's got his he he gets guilt. He gets guilt. God damn, it's not guilt. Uh, he gets uh, Balthus. He kind of calls him out on a few things here, and but he he's got his number. Um. So let's see. Oh, she realize, she recognizes Leechbane, the Lord Veritant of the Anvils of the Helmet Heldenhammer. Uh all the stories about him were bad. Uh this is one of those stormcasts that when uh when the undead come through or when things come through or when people need to be when the, when a purge needs to happen, he is brutal. Yeah. Um, um there's a line in here from Elia that not all stormcast were like Ferris or Callus. Some were much, much worse. Yep. And here you have the leech pain. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of the royal families came under sway of a soul leech. Oh, wipe them all out. You don't know how far yeah. these infections spread. Um, yeah, exterminatus. I don't care. Just get rid of whatever's there. Um, and she's still waiting for Ferris to come back. Uh, Callus told her he would come back. She's waiting. She's waiting. But he's not there. She's not happy. Um, and then we get there, and it's oh, there, here's the petty, and here's Balthazar or Balthus at sort of admitting that uh, almost uh, to his pettiness. Um, perhaps Tyros is right. He resented Nasus' success. Glories that should rightfully have been his had they not fallen into the lap of another. It was irksome, frustrating even. He didn't like to think of himself as prey to such weakness, and here it was gnawing at him. This is the type of stuff that reminds you of the stuff like from Fulgrim. It should have been mine, except it fell into his lap. Nothing fell into Gnosis' lap. Gnosis worked for it just like everybody else. Yes. Did he? I bet you he did. If he figured stuff out, if he was doing research... And he he translated the alchemical text taken from the Silver Sepulchre. What do you think? Sigmar knew how it was and just walked out and said, Here, Gnosis, I'm going to give you the key just so I could praise you. No. If he translated the text before Balthus could, he's got to have some skills. I mean, just because he wears blue and gold doesn't mean he's inept. Well... Yeah, it's bad it, uh, color palette. Oh, um, it's the only good color palette on these guys. Everything else looks funny. Uh, sure. Hey, all my guys are blue and gold, unless they're just solid blue and white with gold trim, because that's those are the yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so their resentment comes to confrontation between the two, um, but they eventually come to this kind of understanding. And Balthus kind of changes his attitude a little bit based on what Sigmar had said to him before he left. Um, so they actually start to, like, at the end of this confrontation, they actually start to, like, try to work together. Um, and then Zerafina, who is the knight in Cantor to Nauseous, um, she's seen as a living saint because there's statues of her in the city. Right. So and they, they're like, they don't realize it's her. That's great. Yeah, and they like pray to her or like lay flowers down at the feet of the statue. Um, but she's like actually watching them as they're doing this. And it's kind of it's weird to get it from that perspective. Yeah, it is funny, though. I found that quite humorous. Um, but still, this this whole conversation between Balthus and Gnosis, I mean, you definitely this is worth reading. Because Gnosis is trying to make right, and Balthus just keeps attacking him. He's like, are you angry at me about this? He's like, I'm not angry at you. Do what you want. I don't care. Like, it's so petty. This is so much. This is like crap I put up with when I'm at work. You know, it's like, do what you want. I don't care. Whatever. Like, he's literally doing that stuff, you know. And then when he calls him out on it, he's like, maybe I am stubborn, but I got this, this mission from the God King himself. And he's like, you know what? I got my mission from the God King himself. And it comes down to the word. Finally, finally, Gnosis gets mad. He's like, you frustrate me, brother. All of us, really. You're among the first of our number, but you wall yourself off from all save Tyros. And even he has to make an effort to speak to you. Uh, look, brother, look around you. See what you dismiss so casually. For once, look past yourself. And I was like, ooh. You know, you're not the only one here. You know, um, and he's like, look, and, and finally, Nas is like, look, I need your help. We This has to end. 
I need you. And see, and this is where Gnosis shows, I think, that he's a, 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 might be of a slightly better character than Balthus because he's willing to do that. I do this with my students all the time. If I, if I got a kid who I just can't get under control, this is where you pull him across and you're like, look, help me here. You know, I, I, need, I need you to work with me here. So instead of giving orders, you're asking for them to comply, making it their, putting it on them. And a lot of times that works, and it, it, does, it works here too. Uh, it, I think Gnosis makes a good foil for Balthus because they're both sort of accomplished, um, but only one of them seems to really take it to heart that he didn't. And, it, and it's, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I get that Balthus wants to succeed in everything he does. And, and all of his perceived failures, you know, they bother him, but they also push him to do more. <laughs> so it becomes, to his credit, he does a lot of better work due to that thing, but it, it makes him quite annoying. Um, and that's basically where we're at um, with this chapter, I think. Yep, mm-hmm. that's it. So let's jump to 13 as yeah. we're plugging away here. So this is where the undead army, primarily made up of the night haunts because they are the fast element. They don't have to stop. They're not slow or burdened by bodies. Um, they attack one of these gypsy caravans. Yeah, the um, Zerk that we heard mentioned earlier. Yeah, led by Melendrek and then uh, Ferris and Realistically, this is a little bit of that hammer porn um, where they just oh, go around butchering is. people. Um, but we get introduced to three characters, um, the first of which being Felgrip, who is a spirit torment bound to service, to uh, Thumb, is, and he's like feared by the other spirits. Like they recoil away from him. Yeah. Um, I think it's the reminder of the torment because the spirit torments are the one that they're the jailers. Uh, of people's of the souls, um, the most interesting one to me is Russia R O C H A. She's like a high executioner, so a Lord Executioner, um, formerly of Hellstone, um, and she has this conversation with uh, Thom, like, "Shall I hunt down the ones that flee before you? Um, I shall met out justice to those who defy you." He says, no, don't hunt them down uh, or anything like that. And she says, the Mortok or Sacrament bid me serve you. He casts forth his hand and a thousand gallows ropes snap taut. A true Lord, wise and mighty, but you are not, not yet. Light still flickers in you. I can taste it. And oh, it is a deceitful thing. It will lead you astray, that light. I thought to grasp it once. I was betrothed to a prince, a mighty prince, but he is gone and I am here. Um, she's kind of waning after her boyfriend on this one. Yeah. Um, and I, it's that memory part, that resentment towards the living that we mentioned, um, with the night haunt review of what these things are. Um, these characters perfectly fit the lore in the night haunt review. I was, and I loved reading about, I loved seeing what we read in the night haunt review just a couple weeks before in action. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to the point where there's a part where she gets attacked and the little spirits who are constantly tugging at her hair and taunting her jump in the way of the the missile weapons and take the shot <clears throat> because not to save her but so that she can keep living and the other ones can keep taunting her. It's just so good. Yeah. And then we get introduced to Ophalus Dahl, um, who is a guardian of souls. And Ferris recognizing, he's like, I carried a lantern once. Very much like the one that Dahl is carrying. Right. Um, so I thought that was funny. But he's, he's soothed by the light of this lantern. Um, so it's, Calming, even as it like has a part of like reanimate and pull the spirits out of the dead bodies. Um, so it's just a little bit of hammer porn, but it does have some setups. Yeah, because we're getting all these later. things because they go and they basically they wipe out that uh, they wipe out the the zerk. Yeah, and uh, she, you know, th- some of them call them out though. They're like, dude, you're hesitating. What's yeah. your problem? Like, you need to get... We see the light in you, and it's a problem. You need to deal with it. Yeah, and he's comforted by the lights. The doubt is chased away, looking into Dull's lantern. But isn't that the same thing that happens with the other ones? Doesn't his lantern is what keeps the other ones sort of the... Uh, the other, whatever that unit's called, that, that follows him around? I forget the, the name of whatever they are. Um... The chain rasps. Yeah, don't they follow him around because of that? Like that's the like that guiding thing that sort of draws yeah, them. Yeah, he to is him. the beacon. Yeah, so it works on 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 a lot of them though. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump to fourteen. Uh, inviolate. Uh, Balthus and Achilles are clearing out the temples of Nagash and Glim's Forge. Um, apparently, <laughs> I love this part. So they go into this place. And there's some necromantic activity, and there's undead unrest there, so they go to clear it out. But apparently there are temples to Nagash, because even though he's sort of their enemy, there are people who still worship him. They, they All the different gods are worshipped. Uh, and when they get out of hand, Achilles goes in and wipes out the temple, destroys it, burns it to the ground. He goes, this is the sixth one I've burned down and the, in this building. Like, they keep rebuilding it and putting it back there again. And he's like... What do they even try to hide it from you? He's like, no, they invite me to the ceremony, to the to the you know to the opening thing. He goes, I always show up for it. Mm-hmm. It's just such a weird thing. It's like, yes, look, there's going to be people who worship Nagash, and we can't stop that from happening. Um, we just keep tabs on it as long as they don't get crazy out of line. Now they're in there wiping them out because you can't have him there. You can't have any of his little footholds in there because he's attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get a great there's the necromancer in here is pretty cool. Yeah, the little bit of hammer porn. Yeah, he's pretty powerful too. Like he's got all these uh mercenaries with him. He's like, "Go get them." And they're all looking like, "Are you crazy? There's a stormcast." Like, "Oh, forget it. I'll do it." And just rips all their souls out. Mm-hmm. And uses that energy to then power his necromancy. So he rips out their souls, animates them, sends them after it, or or does he use is that what he uses to make the like the the flesh the armor, yeah, the flesh yeah. suit armor. Oh, it's this is it's pretty cool stuff. It's it's really fun to read. Um, it, it, you know, not making the best. You know, it's it's okay story wise. Uh, at least I mean for for us talking about it. Uh, but it's really it is worth it is absolutely worth reading. Um, let's see what else. 
The... And then there's a convened war council between the lords, the two different hosts of the Stormcast, uh, the local free guild, and then the dispossessed that live in Glimsforge, um, cause they helped build the 10,000 tombs, right. um, and the machinery that guards it. And they start looking at it and it's like, well, we know this is coming. We know the system or the city is protected by all of these things. Um, so we know this, that, and the other thing are coming, but like, they're not asking why. If Nagash knows that he can't break the city, why is he sending troops here unless he knows it can be broken? So then they start to think about, okay, well, where is there a flaw in the defenses? Right. Like, what could Nagash exploit if he knows that he can't break in here? Why is he even doing this? Yeah, and Because this is... Nagash plays the long game. Right. And this is where Balthus realizes there's got to be an ulterior motive. If this place is uncrackable, why is he attacking it? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. Unless it's not uncrackable. Bwah, bwah, bwah. So yeah. that's where we're at. Uh, okay, chapter 15. I think we can sum this up pretty quickly. Fort Allenstadt is like the last fort that they're getting information from. Most of the other places have been sacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, fort Allenstadt gets sacked. It yes. gets sacked hard. You get a lot of cool attacks. Um, you, I mean, you get a little bit about the characters and you get the, that live there, or that are at the sta- at the station house or you know at, at this fort. Um, but really, it's just it's Ferris interacting with all of the other undead characters we've already talked about. Um, them constantly sort of pushing him. Listen, you need to you need to stop hesitating and get the job done. Uh, the sword he holds has an hourglass, and it t- sort of talks to him a little bit. Yeah, I think it's one of those swords of stolen hours, like the Knights of Shrouds have, right? Because it's made of shade glass, it has the hourglass on it. So I think it's help giving him the driving right. uh, force to get stuff done. Uh, and this. And as he's going and killing these people, he starts to think, oh, he's saving them. They don't get it, but he's really saving them. Uh, this is the point in the book where I'm starting to think that he's not going to get saved. This is the part where I'm thinking Ferris might be too far gone to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because, you know, in the, I mean, that's that's the goal here is to save his soul. Um, but I'm starting to think that all they're going to be able to do is free him from Nagash, and but he's going to get destroyed in the process. This is where I start thinking, because he just keeps falling a little further down every time we see him. He becomes less and less of what he was. And that's it. I mean, chapter 15. Once again, yes, it's a lot longer than that. And we're not trying to just blaze through it. Obviously, we're not trying to blaze through it. We've been doing this for, well, we had 45 minutes before we started the book. So we've been doing this for about two and a half hours. Um, But this is where we're getting to. These big battle scenes, they're great to read. I mean, when... When Ferris goes and starts pulling up the portcullis all by himself and, and the, the gears and stuff start breaking and smashing, it's it's good reading. It's not great telling it over the air. Mm-hmm. So chapter 16, Gnosis and Balthus are back again, and they seem to have more of an understanding. Uh, as they're figuring out what to do with the city, Gnosis says, Balthus, you need to go and uh, you need to go and guard, save the Grand Tempestus, which is, that's where the... the the 10,000 tombs are. That's where he wanted to be. It's the entrance. Yeah. And he's like, you need to guard that. He's like, but I thought we were guarding the city. He's like, we are guarding the city and that's where I need you. Balthus very much appreciates this. Uh, and Mm -hmm. goes off to that. Um, 
And then this is the part where Melendrick knows there's a weakness and he made it and they get some more info as they move on to Glim's Forge. Um, let's see. What do we got here? Anything that really sticks out? Um, where, there see, was a bit on here where Ferris is staring off into the desert. Uh-huh. Um, and he has a conversation with uh, Karis Arul, the Lady of All Flesh. Um, right. And they talk about the souls that are out in the desert and Ferris says, if there are souls here, why do they not serve Nagash? Um, and Errol laughs. Nagash is God of justice and these souls have earned their reward. Why would he bend them to his will when they are more fitting to, when there are more fitting tools to hand? Um, and this is what if, I was talking about earlier. These guys just yeah. passed on to heaven, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, does he yeah. need does he need a wicked soul? I mean, I think it helps. I mean, is it something is it more easy to torture them into doing what he wants? Because he, I mean, we we went through that night haunt review. Yeah, I think it's more he's meting out punishment, and that you're going to be punished. This is your punishment, but also you're because going to just. serve me. Yes. So your punishment is, but once again, it's eternal. Yes. I mean, you may only deserve ten years in prison, but you're getting eternity. That kind of sucks. But that's kind of mm-hmm. like hell, isn't it? Yes. You see what I'm saying? I mean, is Nagash just if he's not using every soul at his disposal? If he's letting souls that were good move on? Now there were some times where it was like I just didn't like you know you worshipped Sigmar instead of me. That I don't care if you were good. You're getting tortured. I mean, he can be petty, but is there justice in him? Is there some kindness in him? No. So just to be kind, you have to care, and he doesn't care. Okay. I oh, that's true. It's the same thing. They talked about it earlier, and I think we kind of glossed over it. Where it's like, well. Why does Nagash hate us? Right. And it's and like, well, he doesn't hate us because to hate you have to care. And he doesn't care about anything but himself. Right. Yeah. They had. Yeah. That I remember that conversation. That's interesting. And then I, it's just the, him letting those souls go by. It just make, makes me wonder. Also, I was reading here. Uh, Arul watched him with her eyes gleaming behind her veil. There's talking with. Uh, with Ferris again. Cruel, she repeated, because we must be. We're cruel because we must be. Nagash has stripped you of warmth and joy so that you might be a better weapon, as you've stripped the life from others so that they might join us to see the beauty that awaits them on this side. This reminds me of the Nurgle stuff from the when we read the the Plague Garden. Mm-hmm. Remember how Nurgle, they, they reveled in despair as opposed to hope? Like, they realized that was their thing. And they like they came to enjoy that despair, to love it. And here it's like you, we've ripped you of all this joy and stuff, and they've stripped you of it. And once you realize that you're better off without it, then you can strip others of it as well. Um, it's another one of those strange little points of view things that popped up that made me think. Um, I guess that's it, though. That's it for Chapter 16. Yeah, and then Melendrick, uh takes off with the rest of the spirits because he wants to get them. He wants to met his vengeance out on Glim's Forge. So he takes off and that's what starts um, everything. 
Right. Yeah, we're getting to it now. Uh, chapter 17, Death Storm. Uh, let's see. Oh, we get introduced to our human defenders as they prepare to see... Uh, they see... Okay, this is where you see Vorgan digging up the seal. I want to talk about that. Um, yeah. We get back with Elia a little bit. She's hiding a traitor in her home because the streets are dangerous, so she lets a traitor hide out, which is nice because a traitor helps take care of her dad. And then uh, we have a really great part here with Balthus talking with the Glimsmen, with those human defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that whole point of where maybe he's remind- he gets reminded of why he's doing this, you know. Um. You know, why is he helping these humans? What's the importance of it? But, yeah, so we get there, and, you know, we're introduced to all the humans, and they're talking about what they're doing. And then he's like, I know that face. That's Vorgan Melendrick. He's like, huh? And he's like, he was here. What's he doing with that spade? Oh, the blessed salts. He's digging them out. And then the yeah. horn goes, and he disappears. Mm-hmm. Like, the image of him just yeah, this is What is going yeah, on? Yeah, this is Nasus using an arcanoscope to try to figure out what's going on and that's where they see the spirit or the memory of uh, Melendrick digging out the blessed salts the horn goes and it's the invasion oh okay oh that's what he's using the scope I was just like was he there how is he there what is happening I was confused so um, oh yeah so all of that happens, and then we cut over to where Elia lives, and she's got that traitor that she's got in her house who's helping take care of her dad. And they're like, we got to get going. Um, and then there's a weird part. We have to go, Father. The dead are coming. But your mother, she's not back, is she? And there's like a definite double meaning to that. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, we forgot to mention earlier that when uh, – when Ferris wanted her to go, or after that, these things happened, she needed to go home, and uh, Callus walked her home, like made sure she got home safe. Yeah. And when she walked in the house without her helmet on, the dad started screaming bloody murder and freaking out. And she mm-hmm. thought it was just that, you know, his fear of the storm cast, but we all know why he was freaking out, because he saw her. Right. So, um, what else? Oh. Yeah, and then we get to the part where, like I said, where he's Balthus is talking to the mercenaries, or I mean the 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 guard, the you know the the human guard, and uh, he's there's no glorious battles. Glories accrued in the aftermath and doled out by poets and historians. And he's like, then why are you here? For the same reason you are. I'm defending my home and the city I was born in. I remember all this stuff. Why are you here? Um. And uh, is like, well, if, if if it sucks here, why do you stay here if all this bad stuff's happening? And it's a, it's this that whole scene where they're trying to, uh, you know, trying to sort of remind Balthus, learning, you know, that whole. This is the scene in the movie where the the guy who doesn't quite fit in starts to learn about all these people that he's protecting and starts to actually. You know, get a bit of an understanding. They're not just these things he has to protect. They're actual people. Um, and that's basically kind of what happens there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, and I do like this part of kind of inspirational. He's like, there's pretty much, you know, the the we've got everybody on the wall. You got the gaffers and the grannies hurting the children to safety. And Balth is like, we're here. We'll protect them. And who's going to protect us? And he points up at the Statue of Sigmar. Him. And then he's like, do you ever, you mean, he's like, oh, yeah, I met him. And then he says he'd be proud of you, I think, which is kind of cool. Like there's, like I said, there's that building, that 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 camaraderie that is really uh, going on here. And the, basically the plan starts being in motion at this point. Everyone's got to get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else in this chapter that really sticks out? Yeah. Um, so once the attack starts, um, Russia... Oh yeah. Comes in and she starts fighting against the men. Um, and she starts screaming, You who took my betrothed from me on our dying day. And then again, when the undying king might have returned him to me, her, uh, where he was mine, promised and owed, and you took him. Um, so she's fighting Ferris at this point. Oh no, she's not fighting Ferris, but she's like going hell for leather against the Stormcast. Um, you took him and clad him in silver so that he did not know me, and I will have my justice. I will take what I am owed in blood until he is returned to me, my prince of the fourth circle. Um, so this one is like, did she feel like she was robbed? Like, did someone get taken as a storm cast? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's what I read, you know. Yeah. They- no, no. Yeah, I mean, and that, but this is interesting because we always have it from the guy's point of view. I mean, how many stories have we heard? It has to be dozens that we've heard so far since this game came out where someone was defending their family or their beloved or their close kin, and at that moment before they died, they get sucked up to Azir. Mm-hmm. And we all know that all of them were going to get killed anyway. We knew all of I mean. Sigmar wasn't abandoning these people. They were all doomed, right? Every one of these stories, they're outnumbered, outmanned. But now you're getting it from the point of view of the person who got left behind. And she goes into the realm of death, and she expects to see him in the afterlife, and he ain't there. And, of course, Nagash could use that easily to twist this person into serving him really easily. Mm-hmm. Sigmar, the betrayer, stole him from you. That's This is such a great idea i really liked this it's a little more than that what do you mean we'll come to it um but that's in chapter 19 okay right 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 um and then and we're at the part now where he's you know ferris pretty much seems completely gone uh at this point i'm banking my money on the, the you know you've got Elia running around, and she reminded him of his daughter before he got taken. She's the thing that's either going to bring him back or 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 something. But that's pretty mm-hmm. much all that's there by my figuring. Right. Um, why don't we take one last break and then uh, I think we can do the rest of the uh, the rest of the chapters and end the show after that last break. Mm-hmm. All right.
Hey, check out that guy in the Garage Hammer shirt. Who cares about him? Look at that guy with the Garage Hammer hoodie. That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in garage gear. And we are back with Chapter 18, Gravewalkers. A lot of hammer porn in this one. That's really all I got out of it. Yeah. Uh, to be the, perfectly honest. Yeah. The Glimsmen are going to take on the Deadwalkers, leaving the Night Haunt uh, to the Stormcast. Um, there are some cool things in here. When the Night Haunts come rushing in, they're fighting off all the zombies and stuff and the skeletons. The Night Haunts come rushing in, and they're killing Stormcast. Pretty handily, and Vale, uh, who is the leader of the the human contingent, who's fighting. Uh, these guys are terrified. They are watching the the their protectors, the the unstoppable Stormcast, getting pounded on. That's got to be terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see the uh, the the soul trap happening. The lightning comes, and what's his name grabs them. Felgrim. Yeah, it stops them from going. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and you start to see that happening more and more. Uh, what else? So then they fall back, blah, blah, blah. Uh, more cool descriptions of the fight. The war horns going off. Yep, all of this. Uh, the sequitur shields, they can, you know, they can charge their shields or their mauls. And they charge their shields, and then night haunts can't uh, get through them, which I thought was cool. Their shields can stop ethereals. Um, oh, there, he, uh, uh, Balthus runs out, and uh, he murmurs uh, an incantation and transform all the dead walkers around him into silver, which was a cool bit move, because uh, then the night haunts are stuck by that too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Other than that. Um, Oh, uh, there, there are some. There's the thing that I did like in this is there's some great Dwarden stuff in Chapter 18. Um, their Thane falls, and uh, he's hurt, and he comes down. He's like, uh, because I guess one of the Night Haunt raged into his chest and almost pulled his heart out. I can help you with this, but it'll hurt. It already hurts. It'll get worse. <laughs> and he <laughs> looks at him. He goes, "Manling magic." Ugh. Of a sword, he goes, just do it. I'll not die on my back from wounds I can't see. And Balthus puts his hand on and basically rips the, the the soul nonsense out of him, the stuff that the Night Haunts had done to him. Of course, after that, he passes out, and they all think he killed him, so they all grab their weapons on He's like, he's going to be fine. Get out of here. Yeah, so this is Balthus healing the yeah. uh, Duarden thing. Um, and then what Sigmar has abandoned, we shall remake. Dahl comes up, pulls. That's where he pulls the souls out of it. And then uh, what's her name comes behind and raises all the dead bodies. Yeah. 
So you get the double work going on here. Um, yeah. And then you have uh, it's called Gravewalkers because Linos uh, Gravewalker is the Lord Celestine of the Anvils of the Hell and Hammer. Um, he tries to uh, break the undead horde between the two forces that are fighting his and the sacrosancts that are defending the Grand Tempestus. Um, but it doesn't work that well. No. Because there's still too many of them. Yeah. There are some really great scenes with the fighting and with them lining up with their shields and stepping forward in unison. On my mark, go. Boom. And they're pushing them back. I mean, there's mm-hmm. great. If you like to read the battle stuff, it's here and it's great. Yes. Uh, chapter 19. Elia comes yeah. in. You want to grab this one? Um, so they're all like retreating into the Grand Tempestus because that is the place where they feel the safest. It's going to be the most warded against the evil spirits. And she's walking around and she can like see the geists that are trying to break in and they're trying to get her. Um, there's one with like maggots where his eye socket should be. And she's just kind of walking around like not a, not afraid. Um, just yep. kind of oblivious to it all. Well, she sees it's there, but she's she's she knows how to get in. The cats can lead her to a safe way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all in there, and and uh, Balthus is inside, and they, he knows that Ferris is is out there coming for him. And they've got to keep they they keep this battle going on. Ferris is outside, just killing everything he can get to, giving the whole argument. Now he's he's kind of full on into into the brainwash mode that people had done to him. You know, why can't you see I'm trying to help you? Yeah, and Balthus is um, actually outside trying to figure out how they can evacuate the mortals because they're oh, just getting right. butchered. Um, and he sees Linos, uh, Gravewalker, that's the Lord's lesson, fight Ferris. Um, and Balthus tries to save him and prevent him from dying, um, but eventually Linos dies. Uh, Felgrip captures him into his chains, and Balthus then goes after Thom, um, but it's kind of inconclusive. They kind of rough each other up a little bit, but nothing significant. Um, and they get separated, and Russia tries to jump in and take Balthus. Um, and tries to, you know, cut his head off. Um, saying, and there was one thing in here, where did it go? Um, darn it, there it is. Here we go. Um, and she goes at him and says, or he's hissing at him, I know you. One like you took my prince from me, drew him up and bound him in star iron, star iron, made a false king of him and set treacherous thoughts in his head. Theft, treachery. By these crimes and a thousand others, you've been judged in the sentence death. She tries to kill him, um, and he ends up beating her. Um, like it's a combination of Quicksilver and the staff, uh, right? Breaking her down, and as she's trying to get up, her essence is fading. I will not. Where is he? Where is my prince? Tell me. Um, and the last word that she whispers is Tarsem. Um, that is the mortal name for Tarsus Bullhart. No way. Yeah, way. So she was supposed to... 
Oh, she was no. betrothed to him, and Sigmar snatched him, or took his soul up. Um, so that sets about the bitterness because he was pulled, she wasn't, um, and taken away from her. And then when Nagash catch or captures his soul at the very tip of the Realm Gate Wars, he experiments on Tarsem or you know Tarsus Bullhart to try to get him into the shell, but it doesn't work, so he ends up dissipating him, and it's like, Nagash could have given him back to me right there. Oh, But he didn't. Man. So she just gets even more embittered. Oh, that's, that's why crazy. it's even heavier. Oh, that's great. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I like that. But it's the one thing that makes more sense. It's like, well, you clad him in silver. Tarsus Bullhart was a hollowed knight. Right. Oh, that's so good. So, yeah. I totally There's, missed that. I was. That's I the really... whole reason I've been mentioning her every time she comes up. Oh, I, I liked that... her for what it was. I, I liked all that. I just didn't realize that was who it was. I just liked that she was like resented the Stormcast because. Resentful. No, it is a lot deeper than that for Russia. Yeah, because he got him back and couldn't give him to her. He destroyed him trying to break him out of that because he couldn't get Sigmar's bit out of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. I love it. All right, let's jump to Chapter 20. Refuge. They're inside the Grand Tempestus. Um, so now they're in there. Balthus starts giving orders as he's trying to put together a plan. Um, You know, they got people posted on all the door. They got... uh. Liberators on all the doorways. They got all these wounded people. Um, he goes and finds the lector who's in charge and says, start making me an inventory. I need to know what's here. Uh, he sends the human guys out to go help him. We're going to plan. We're going to fortify. We're going to be ready. And as soon as everybody walks away, the the one Duarte and Judson looks at him and he's like, oh, busy work, is it? He's like, huh? He taps the side of his head. I'm no fool. This was never meant to be a fortress, whatever the manlings think. And it won't keep the dead out for long. You're thinking of something else. Fosco doesn't see it, but he will. And so um, then you get some Dwarden singing, which is just kind of awesome. Um, and then Balthus sits down, and he's kind of exhausted, and he's like, we've got to get out of here. He knows he's got to leave. They can't stay in here. Um, and basically... You know, he finds out after talking to the guys who built the, you know, he's talking about it and he's like, you know, we built, you know, yeah, your friend designed the place, but we built it. I know the, I know this place better than anybody. And so now they, he has an idea of how to get down into the thousand tombs because he's got to take what's left down there. Yeah. Um, he's got to save the mortals and then still protect the 10,000 tombs. So they devise this plan that they're going to go down into the tombs and then the, Dwarden are going to lead the human, lead the mortals away to safety, uh, to save their lives. Um, but the Stormcast are going to push on into the Ten Thousand Tombs. Um, so what they need is someone to delay, to cause a distraction, to give them the time to get ahead of the ghosts. Um, Sister so Helios steps up and says, "I got it. It's cool," and they don't even have to ask him. He knows that this is my moment. This is my chance to shine, to be the hero that 
I know I am. So right. he does it with a little bit of ego. Um, and then Balthus has to ask Elia to guide them through the tombs with the cats. Right. But she's just a kid. She doesn't want to ask him. He's like, look, she's safer with us than with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so they plan they're going to go down through the tombs. What else is happening? Um, oh, yeah, so when they do break in, Helios is left behind, and this is funny. Helios, this is one of the first times he gets to fight to his full potential because when he's calling down all that lightning, he's like, he could hurt his friends, but none of them are here. So he can just, like, l- cut loose uh, and basically, he runs around, jumps around, dodges, ducks, kills things, and waits for uh, what's the guy? Who's the who's the guy trapping all the souls? Felgrip, the spirit torment. Felgrip, yeah. Um, he runs around doing all this stuff and waits until Felgrip gets right within range. They think they've got him caught. He's you know he keeps going in circles, smaller and smaller circles. They think they've got him, and then he basically sacrifices himself to take out Felgrip. Yeah, um, he's been like almost like meditating, building the tempest within him and with that lunge, he unleashes it right into Felgrip's face and eventually dissipates his being and then it also breaks all the chains attached right. to Felgrip so that rush of souls that he's been capturing suddenly streaks up. So, like, all of the storm hosts that they've been capturing, because Ferris has told them, it's like, you are going to catch every Stormcast spirit you can. Right. Because they need to be taught the light, or the truth, about Sigmar, and this is Helios saying, nope, we're going to change that, we're going to get them all back to his ear. Um, but he ends up getting killed by Tom afterwards. Right. And I like Helios. Helios is sitting there and he starts and he like you said he's 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 sitting there and after he finishes most of the fighting, he starts scratching, he gets an idea for a poem <laughs> and starts scratching it out with his sword onto the stone in the place. And he comes over there and he's like, "I am death. I am. He's like, "Hold on a minute. I'm almost done." And he's like, "What? I'm finishing my poem. Your poem." He's like, "Yeah, we should it, it was so funny. He's just so nonchalant about it. It was really a great scene." But yeah, <laughs> so everything is everything is freed. And we're down to the last couple chapters here. Chapter 21, The Descent. Um, all right, so, okay, basically, this is the final thing. They're going, they're, they're plotting, they're planning their defenses, um, and they're being chased down. The catacombs keep shifting. They're going through, trying to get through everything. I'm trying to find something that really stands out here. Um, it was a lot of... A lot of fighting. Um, oh, yes. they ask, why didn't when 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 we found this place when when uh, Sigmar found this place, why didn't he just get rid of these souls here? And then Callus is like, he had some use for them. He's exactly, the dead are cl- as clay for the gods. Souls can be reforged, even those tainted in some way. We know this. Take Tornus, the hero. Once a foul thing, a pustule of chaos. Now one of the huntsmen of Azir. So they're here for potential. For hope for a better day, for the chance to repair what's broken and remake what's destroyed. That's why I hunt through the ancient tomes and scour musty pages, seeking a sign of hope, some promise, all has been, might be again. So, 
it's interesting that Sigmar doesn't want to destroy this because they, you know, just as Nagash can use it, he could too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a they've got a ballista there, uh, so they're going to use that. They got things set up. They're going to drop down all the stones on these guys, bring it all down on top of their heads and stuff. Uh, and then they turn around and and uh, Elsa runs away, and of course she does because that's what every kid's going to have to do at, the, at that important moment. She's going to run and hide, like Newt. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, and I like how he wants to pull the soul. And then they go back up to where Ferris is. He hasn't gone down yet. And he wants to pull the soul out of uh, that. St- and he's like, you, you can't pull any of the souls out of here. The pl- this place is protected, which I thought was interesting. There are awards and stuff to keep them from doing that. Um, so basically, Ferris is going around doing everything he can. They get they, And they break into the tombs. That, that, you know, they finally break into the tombs. And now they're heading off after him. And we get to chapter 22. The final chapter. Um, and this is where Balthus realized what Nagash, or not Nagash, what Sigmar was saying to him. Oh, there's a Freudian slip. Um, he realized what Sigmar was saying to him. I thought I had to get him into the right place, but it's not. He got me into the right place. I just had to wait for the right time, the right opportunity. Basically, everything Sigmar told him comes to that point. And that's when Elia runs out, and of course, as we knew, Ferris sees her, Elia, and he stops, and then she goes running off, and now he's going to go chase her. And his his servant's like, uh, where are you going? He's like, listen, shut up. I got to do this. Um, it's an interesting uh, bit going back and forth. Um, I did like that he goes to the place with all the mirrors, and he sort of sees not just himself, but who he was and who he is now. And all these other things, and he starts freaking out and smashing mirrors. Uh, and then we realize that uh, uh, Ferris looks at her, and real, and, you know, and and he confirms for us that Callus is Elia's mom, because we got to get all this stuff to her. Um. Up And then, uh, still the fighting, still the fighting. Uh, and then you get the argument that runs through the whole thing. We weren't cast aside by uh, Sigmar. Uh, the value of a thing is not in its use, but in its potential. No true craftsman disposes of his tools. He repairs them or repurposes them. And this, you know, the fighting goes back and forth, the talking back and forth. I mean, we all kind of know how this is going to end here, right? At least I thought I did. Um, all of a sudden, uh, Balthus starts feeling strange, and suddenly his mind is full of lightning and thunder. And he's like, what is happening? And he starts thinking about all this stuff. And basically, Nagash is sort of, you know, using, is talking through Bell, uh, through uh, uh, Ferris. Um, and basically, Sigmar then takes over Balthus, which is really cool. Basically, their avatars sort of take over these two bodies, and Nagash and Sigmar have a fight. I thought that was pretty cool. I was not expecting that to happen. 
Um, and they argue. Before they actually fight, they get into the whole, you know, you know, I'm not who I was. The past is ash. The future's yet to be written. And he's like, no. And then it's going on. Who would stand between the undying king and his prey? Me, brother. Always me. And then you've got this sort of this war of words between before they start fighting with each other. Um, are there any parts in here that really stuck out to you that you wanted to mention? Because this is, I mean, the whole thing is good. I'm not reading the whole thing. Uh, just the one where Nagash had said, uh, this is on 389, you served me once, Balthasarum, in another turn of the wheel as a world burned, and you will do so again, as all who live shall eventually serve me. Um, and that one I had to dig back through. Um, Gelt actually worked with Nagash and the dead. He was kind of a renegade where he went and aided them. So in a way, he did serve Nagash. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that took me a second, because if we're going with the theory that Balthus is guilt, then it's like, well, how did that make sense? But no, he actually worked with and for Nagash during the end times prior to the acceptance that, yep, this is happening. That is right, because Gelt would run around and he would he would team up because it was hey we're fighting chaos, man. I'll take any I'll take any uh I'll Ally take any help I can get. get. Right. Yeah. Because he was branded a heretic for a while. That's right. Oh, wait, wasn't didn't he try to who was it who Oh, because uh, the, uh, what was it, the changeling was imitating someone, and he goes in and tries to stop him. Uh, yeah, the changeling was imitating R. Ar- Ar- Ulrich. Right. And then he goes in, oh, that's right, I forgot all about that. Because, yeah, he really was running a, a, a ragged line there for a while. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, this is, again, assuming the theory that Balthus's guilt. Yeah, and then basically, the, the, all the fighting's going on, and that's where he hears Sigmar in his head. He's like, "Now," and he basically reaches in and grabs that bit of through the hole in the armor. He reaches in and grabs that bit of Sigmar that's left, and you know, pumps his magic into it. And that's a, another piece of Sigmar that they all have in him. But now he's like, you know, doubly, and just lets the power loose. And blows apart uh, Ferris from the Stop. inside. Or, yep. Yeah. Blows him apart from the inside. And it's pretty much done at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. He's destroyed. Nagash, they failed. They didn't get into the 10,000 tombs. There's still a war going on outside the city, but they've stopped them from getting into the tombs, which is yeah. their job. And that's sort of the end there. And then we get a little epilogue. Um. And this is all Archon. It's Archon and Manfred, yeah. Yeah, he's standing out there, and this is not one with Nagash. You know, he's feeling some satisfaction the way things had gone. He'd wagered heavily and lost little. Nagash had no one to blame but himself. The Undying King's Rage would fall on lesser champions, and Archon would stand blameless and loyal as ever. The failure revealed much of that that was of interest. The 10,000 tombs yet remained waiting. Sigmar had not destroyed them. Perhaps he lacked the power, or more likely he saw in them 
He saw them for what they were, a resource yet untapped. The thought sent a prickle of apprehension through Archon's bones. If Sigmar had at last realized what Nagash and the Ruinous Powers already knew, that mortal souls were the most valuable resource in the realms, the game had truly entered a new and more deadly phase. I like this, and I'm reading this like, oh, gosh. And then this is where Manfred shows up, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? What was the game here? Um, and then basically, what does what is Archon? How does he explain it to him? Yeah, I got it. Um, what were you up to if not to seize the glory of conquering Glimsword for yourself? Archon sighed, a sound like wind whistling among gravestones. My concerns are neither glory nor conquest. The universe is caught fast between two spheres of order, one a sword, the other a shield. Shyish is the sword, Azir the shield. Thus it has it always been, thus it must always be. Um... Manfred frowned and sheathed his blade. Nagash does not agree. No, but he believes, and that is all that matters. Between them, Azir and Shayesh held the ruinous powers at bay for centuries. Even when lesser gods fell by the wayside, the lords of death and heaven stood firm. They are two parts of the same whole, beginning and ending. One cannot stand without the other. The realms cannot stand without either. Um, and that is kind of what we've been hinting at this entire time, that they are brothers, that they are the opposites of the same coin. Right. Um, And Manfred says, and then what, huh? Will they turn their attentions to the true foes? Like, they're basically, they have to, he said, well, you think you can manipulate the gods into open conflict so they might, what, become allies once more once they've vented their furies? So, Anarchan says, it's like, I manipulate no one. Nagash should have done this regardless. But as you said, there was opportunity in the madness, and so I seized it. And for the first time in centuries, the Undying King and the God King and the God King met face to face, and neither destroyed the other. Yeah. And he goes, "What if your gamble failed?" He goes, "Then silence will fall over the realms, and Nagash will stand alone." And he just did it. He, it's great that he has total faith. Look, the two of them can get to can band together, and they the you know they will stop the ruinous powers together. It'll be much easier. But if they don't, Nagash will do it on his own. Like, still has total faith that Nagash can pull this off on his own. It'll just be easier to do it with other people. Yeah. And then the real question is, if Nagash knows everything that Arkhan is doing. And Archon is the most loyal servant of Nagash. Mm-hmm. Would he really have condoned what Archon did? Or again, is Archon the true compass for Nagash? I don't know. Saying that Nagash actually really knows that he needs Sigmar to do what he's got to do. To do what has to be done, he needs help. So is Archon like that guy that's going to pull the strings to make that happen? Even after they work their grudge out for a little bit, they got to fight it out. Yeah, he knows it, but he doesn't want to admit it. It's probably yeah. what it is, yeah. That's just my take on that one. And that's the book. It's yeah. Three and a half hours. 3.15, actually, we covered the whole book. 
and we ran through it quickly. Um, well, I mean, but we didn't rush through it. But the, that, like you said, that book is is it's front loaded. There's a lot of characters. The last third of the book is a lot of fighting. That's you know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do with that? Yeah, and realistically, folks, like this is a new type in Age of Sigmar, and I think with the new writing in particular with Black Library, where like when I first started reading it, it was nothing but hammer porn. Um, whereas now I think we're getting into like deeper reads where there's more to it than just guys beating each other senseless. Um, there's like an actual story. There's actually takeaways. There's actually something here to keep you interested besides fantasy fighting. And this is a, Really prime example. This one and the other ones we've covered, City of Secrets and uh, Play Garden. Like, there's more to it than just, you know, kind of that common denominator combat, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really well done. It's well put together. Uh, I'm really pleased with how it turned out. So, uh... That's it. Should we go to the contest? Yeah, sure. I said earlier in the show we had a lot of uh, good entries. I actually, another one came in while we were recording. Um, But I got one from a gentleman named Ben. And uh, I read this. I sent this to you. And this one was so just like not anything I expected there was just really nothing else that I think that was able to really top this. This was kind of crazy. So it's uh, from Ben Dake, D-A-K-E. Um, during your latest episode, Night Haunt Review, great episode, but I digress. You asked listeners to write in and share their favorite aspect of the show over the last eight years and nearly 200 episodes. I felt compared to share my personal favorite moments. Like you, I'm also a teacher. It's what I love to do, even though it can be incredibly discouraging. The 2014-2015 school year was one such year. In those nine months, I experienced hell on earth. Where'd it go? There it is. Um, I experienced hell on earth. It was also during this school year that GW released their End Times series for Warhammer. I devoured each episode devoted to them, though I never played Fantasy. I lost my job in May of 2015. It would have been one thing if I was a bachelor and only had to be concerned with taking care of myself. However, I'm not. I have a wife and a child that depend on me. I looked for jobs before, and I figured finding another teaching job would be easy. That was in June. As summer progressed, my despair deepened. My wife knew it. I knew it. I was wholly committed to ending it all so that my wife and child could start over. However, I had something to look forward to every other week. This show. If I could make it to the next show and then the next, I figured I'd be okay. In the very dark space where my mind was, this show was something I could look forward to. In a lot of ways, it was the only thing I had to look forward to. Between your uplifting positive attitude and my absolute saint of a wife, she never left me alone that summer, ever. I pulled through. I've never fully committed to AOS, but I still listen to Garage Hammer as soon as it comes through my feed. I have a son arriving on the 22nd of this month, and the child that I, th- and the child that I thought needed a father she could be proud of just started kindergarten and loves to paint miniatures with me. My wife and I just celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary this past June. I wake up every morning and go to the greatest teaching job of all time. Your coverage of the end times and the transition to Age of Sigmar helped me 
in these things, and I thank you for it. So that one, yeah, I think that that's the one we picked for mm-hmm. getting there because that's just bananas. So thank you, Ben, for the letter, and thank you for opening up that way. I appreciate it. And thank you for saying it was okay to read this on the air because I checked with him first because this is kind of. It's heavy stuff. Yeah. But so, Ben, you've got the uh, get in touch. Send us an email, and uh, I'll get you pictures of all the stuff in the prize closet. You can pick whatever you want. Now, of the remaining ones, I did a random, uh, you know, random number generator going on, and the random winner was John Loeffler. So, John, you are guy number two there to win that one. So, uh, get in touch. ASAP and uh, let us know what you would like as well of all entries John Loeffler Um, and that's that that's the contest 200 episodes that's crazy Mm -hmm. so um, oh that's that uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening for however long you've been listening, whether this is your first episode or you've been with us the whole eight and a half years. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I don't see myself quitting anytime soon uh, as long as people are still listening, and I've still got people who are sponsoring and want to hear the show. We're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. So... Alex, thank you for uh, coming on as the, as the co-host and and picking up this. I know you got a lot going on, and you know uh, it's not easy doing this, especially doing this with me. <laughs> that is all. That is very very true. Yes, it is. Um, but no, I mean it's been a privilege. It really has to have another avenue to give back to the community that's given me so much. So well, no, I appreciate it being a part of it and. Now, two hundred episodes. It's a little, it's a little crazy. Are we like one of the longest running now? I guess. Um, uh, I mean, Heelanhammer did ten, so we have to at least match them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only one that's still going is Point Hammer, other than us. And Face Hammer too. But I mean, Face Hammer wasn't around before we were. Yeah, it's. Were they? I didn't no. listen to Face Hammer a couple years eighth. ago. Oh, okay. No, they weren't around in eighth. Uh, so no, don't. Yeah, no. The only show that was around that's still broadcasting anything that was around before us was Point Hammered. So, hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. Old so. dogs. Yeah. All right. Well. um Tired old yeah. dogs. <laughs> uh, folks, uh, don't forget, uh, check out uh, After Eleanor on the Free Buddhist Network. Lots of great shows there. Uh, if you want to, leave us an iTunes review. That's kind of awesome. We like them. Uh, and remember to check out the Patreon page if you want to help support the show. And before we go, we definitely want to remind everyone we want to thank our associate producers, Phil Elliott and Dwight Sims, executive producer Nick Napliotis. 
and the newest sponsor, Justin Blankley, and the returning sponsor, Big Jake. So until next time, folks, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at some kind of geek thirty. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's TGA.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.